The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. It is Saturday, March 28th, and no matter where you might be listening from, you get the gorilla position. Last word on pro wrestling, NDPW, and or hitting the marks.coms. This is the last, the last time you're going to hear this podcast. We are the hashtag DemHTM boys. I'm the Arnold B to the V, Rick Vickery, and with me, well, let's just say when it comes to the pod game, he's the best that I know. He is Mr. Michael Jargo. What's up, Huckleberry? How you doing, man? How, how you like sitting in the host chair? I say, you know, uh, making that shift, putting on the big boy britches, heading there into the captain's seat here, hands on the steering wheel. It, I gotta tell you, it's been such a long time since I've sat in this spot. Hell, I, I mean, it's rare, you know, riding alongside you that I've had to, you know, kind of fill into this position here. But I think, you know, regularly going back to when I was working with Big Ray over at One Wrestling. Uh, it was the last time you did. I kind of had the steady gig, but I've got some things on the horizon. So I've asked you as we make this transition, if I could start kind of easing back into that pool, you know, getting dipping the toe in a little bit, getting used to the water. But, you know, a lot of it, there's a lot of similarities is is the same way I go in and approaching when I'm getting ready to call a, a live show. Calling a, an indie wrestling event is, you know, you got to get everything in order. You're dotting all those I's, crossing all those T's. Make sure that you're you're providing all that information you know, for your your podcast, your broadcast partner, whatever it might be. Uh, but Jargo certainly a, a great deal. Uh, just doing sports this week and then prepping for this show here. I kind of forgotten, and it, it brought back to the surface the appreciation for over this two and a half years, all the shows that we've done together. You know, all the work and sweat and tears and blood you put into this damn thing. You know, it, it's crazy because I was thinking back on this over the course of the last week or so. When we started this show, it's not like we agreed that I was going to host the show and that you were going to be the color guy. That just kind of happened, and I'm not really sure how or why it happened. Do you know? Well, you know, as, as you grow and we're learning our ways, I think we just we kind of played to our strengths. You are more that technically sound and even throughout life and all that is, you know, we, as I said, man, we, we metaphorically here up and down the roads together, everything we've experienced, we've learned to play to our strengths. Uh, I'm a big fat loudmouth who likes to get over opinionated and you really <laughs> like that structure. I am. I, I am certainly a creature of habit that goes without any question. And, and, you know, at, and being a creature of habit, this entire social distancing, the quarantine, the lockdown, I mean, we have to talk about it. I, As a creature of habit, like I go to bed at the same time every day and I get up at the same time every day and I eat dinner at the same time every day. And I mean, like I even like, you know, file my reports at work at the same time every day. Everything is very, very structured. So this isn't necessarily affecting me so much. But Huckleberry, I know that you've got to be pulling your freaking hair out, man, because structure is not Huckleberry's thing at all. Yeah, I am a bit of that free spirit. You know, when I 
no matter what time I wake up there in the day, I might not know what the hell is going on. I'm, I, my plans might change three or four times within that hour of getting out of bed and, and getting ready for the day. But I, I've been look, you know, I've, I've been using this time to go in some different directions, to broaden my horizons and listen to new music and actually, you know, taking the time to study different wrestling promotions and, and really reinvesting myself in my professional life as it pertains to marketing campaigns and strategies and where, you know, I can help my clients move forward. And believe me, this has been a very trying time, especially professionally out of the, the dozen or so clients that I have right now, three and a half of them are still operational because of all these regulations and restrictions that have been put in place. And even within them, you know, there's been times where, okay, you know, maybe we should just close down and wait this thing out. And I continually stress to each and every one of them, we got to push on. Don't close the doors right now. Those who are planning to thrive right now will survive. We're going to come out of this thing booming on the back end. Now, fortunate to say we're seeing early success. Uh, champions today having a curbside grill out over on the west side of Cincinnati. Tremendous support from the community. People coming in, continuing with the carry out up north on the shores of Lake Erie. Harbor House Bar and Grill, where we've done many a shows from. Uh, they're doing just a couple days a week, but the community up there, they are strongly supporting them. The carry out sales are tremendous. You know, you can get your, your beer and your wine, whatever spirits you want there. So it, it's great to see all around the community supporting these businesses, realizing that we need to you know, be there for them so that they're, they're, you know, that they continue to be there for society once we get back to the norm. And catering wise, I've one catering company and it, it was hard on them. They had no idea how they're going to pay their bills might lose their house and everything through this thing, but say, Hey, keep pushing for whatever we can do. You know, let's, let's start doing home delivery. And that ended up got hooked up with some, with a veteran group who now wants to sign a contract exclusively with this catering company. That's going to be worth a couple thousand a month. So it's absolutely saved them. It was because they hung in there. They didn't give in. They didn't throw the talent, continue to fight. And, and that's, you know, the American spirit, the human spirit that's going to get us through a crisis like this. It's it's a weird time in the world right now. It's certainly a weird time in professional wrestling right now. Uh, Rick, I think we, we finally reduced ourselves to watching a lot of old stuff. We've reduced ourselves to watching a lot of documentaries. Um, people are, are starting to branch off into New Japan Pro Wrestling. We're going to talk a bit about the Stardom Cinderella Tournament a little bit later on. Um, there is still wrestling out there to be watched. And it's one of those things where if I've never seen it, it's new to me. Like, let me tell you, man, I went back, I watched that 1994 Super J Cup and that shit was fire. That shit was amazing to go back and watch because I'd never seen it. There's so much professional wrestling out there in the world. Don't just limit yourselves to what we're seeing out of the red and the blue. I mean, get on the network. Go watch yourself some AWA. Go watch yourself some Mid-South, you know? If you want to live through the time of the Von Ericks, go watch yourself some World Class and, you know, expand your horizons a little bit. I think the pro wrestling community is kind of on to something here. Well, as you said, Jargo, if if you haven't seen it, then it's new to you. And this is a tremendous opportunity with you know being on this lockdown that you can't go out there and circulate amongst society that you're used to. This is a time to to reinvest yourself, to reinvent yourself inside of professional wrestling. Go back and, and actually study film. 
find something, you'll fall in love with it once again. And what you can, you know, what you learn from those past experiences and what you see is done in the past, you can take that into the, your current evaluation and experiences and within inside of professional wrestling. Because the more you know about the history, it's gonna it's really gonna open your eyes to what we could be or what we could be enjoying in today's wrestling world and why it's okay to ask better and to and have more developed characters and storylines and not rely on so much, you know, of these floor routines. It, it what really would draw people in, we could have that again today. And as you said, Jargo, you know, outside of, you know, just the current status inside WWE, which is I know personally for me it is it is to the boiling point with frustrations. But hey, on today's episode, as you said, we're gonna be we're going around the world again. We're, we've got documentaries, we've got professional wrestling from the other side of the world. We we've got business the business aspects to talk about here. As you said, so much going on. We're gonna get through a lot of it here as we head into next week, where obviously everything's gonna be geared around WrestleMania, that big, you know, the marquee, the showcase of the immortals, everything that's going on there. Well, let's kick it off here, Jargo. Let's uh, let's take a walk on the dark side of the ring. This past week, this has been a hot topic. Everybody buzzing about this. We get part two, Vice Television, the Benoit story. Now, last week we talked about part one and out of the gate, very emotional. To the point where they very much, they were humanizing Chris Benoit. Your heart almost went out to him. You saw the commitment, the love, the absolute passion and desire for success. All of that drive that was bundled inside of him and geared towards professional wrestling. You saw the comparisons and, you know, everything that they shared together, all of these growing pains and achieving those ultimate goals and accomplishments. That spotlight that they shared together at a WrestleMania between Benoit and Eddie Guerrero. We've seen almost the introduction of someone that's was kind of left out of the fold of every time we've heard this story in Nancy's sister who brought us some great perspective there. You felt a little more closer to David Benoit, the oldest son who was left behind here in this tragedy. Going into part two of this, you and I had talked about this, you know, from the human side of this, they had to take the dark turn and they absolutely did. Uh, This is kind of the ascent into madness. And as they talk about the journal, Chris Benoit's father even saying, I mean, this is the documentation of my son going mad. Overall thoughts here before we really jump into a few talking points, Jargo. I actually watched this thing twice. Um, And both times, I didn't take that away from it. I thought that they did a good job of walking that line of going too dark. Because when we had originally talked about this, that as uplifting of a story as the the Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit friendship was, the humanizing of Chris Benoit, as you said there in, in the first episode, as uplifting as that was, I expected part two to be that dark. And I didn't think they went that dark with this. I thought they could have went a whole lot darker Um, And I thought that they still really kept the focus on those left behind, on those that are still coping with this, that are still dealing with this, some of them on a daily basis. I mean, Chris Jericho, when they talk about the, the Chris Benoit tribute show, 
he talks about how he was sitting back with a bottle of vodka watching that thing, just drinking a, a straight bottle of vodka. I know I have told you the story that, you know, a couple of years ago when I met Chris Jericho, my best friend, we had our picture taken together, and I told you he was he was drunker than shit. You fucking Mark. Yeah, right? But he was drunker <laughs> than shit. And there, there was not a, a question about it in my mind. And this was 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, granted, he was on tour with Fozzie at the time. He wasn't necessarily an active wrestler at the time. But it was just like, damn, dude, really? At noon? And then you watch this documentary and you think about all the demons that Chris Jericho has got in his closet. Can you fucking blame the guy? Between the Chris Benoit thing, who he was incredibly close to, the Owen Hart thing, which he was incredibly close to. Like, Jericho's got some real demons in his closet that he's trying to drown. And I can't say I necessarily blame him. Absolutely. And I love how you lay it out there, Jargo. It, it it didn't necessarily take that deep dive into the darkness that so many expected. And I and I truly think that speaks to the overall message, the intent behind this, you know, behind this little, you know, the story that they're telling, this documentary. It wasn't necessarily this goes back to and I and I still feel that so many that have been moved by this and sat down and gave their time to really invest into this thing that they're continually to miss the point. This this absolutely had nothing to do with Chris Benoit himself. This was a document, a tremendous piece put together to allow those that were mainly left behind, that are still here carrying on this burden, but also in a sense to Daniel and Nancy, you know, the innocent that had their lives, you know, tragically taken here. This is about those legacies and those that are left to carry this burden. We need to stop if if we sit here and you know break down the events that were you know told to us through through this through this venue through this avenue. You can almost remove Chris from this. This is about those individuals and helping them find peace. And still, and still, so many people want to go back to to Benoit on this. Yeah, I don't think anybody's mind was intended to be changed watching this documentary about Chris Benoit. I, I, if you look at Chris Benoit as a pro wrestling hero and one of the best to ever lace up a pair of boots. This documentary did not change that. If you're a person like myself who has no desire to really watch Chris Benoit matches anymore, you don't want to talk about him. You feel like it's a giant stain on the business and you cringe every time his name comes up. This didn't change your mind on that either. Now I can go back and watch stuff like the 1994 super J cup and Chris Benoit matches. I haven't seen those, for one reason or another, do not bother me. But I'm not going to go back to WCW and watch him as a horseman. I'm not going to go back and watch him as the WWE champion. Like I just have no desire to watch that era of Chris Benoit. And you know, even to go a little further, you know, if if you are a supporter or you know a, a fan, I don't hate to use the term supporter. I don't think there's anybody out there. You know, if if this was Chris Benoit, indeed. That's going to try to justify that that he should catch some kind of break here because of what how, you know how gifted he was inside the the squared circle. Uh, if you are of that thought process, they're not going to change your mind. If you are totally opposed to anything Chris Benoit, as you said, you're not going to change your mind. And, and again, you know, it didn't go as detailed or as dark because it wasn't trying to even persuade you that he might not have done this. That there might have been other influences 
at play here. This strictly was to grab your attention and put the focus on those in, those other individuals. And you obviously, you could see uh, just simply, not just through their words, but the body language. You look at Nancy's sister, Chavo, Jericho, Malenko, uh, the spots where they brought in Jim Ross, how this has had you know such a long-lasting even impression on him. I What I want to go back to a second is Dean Malenko, because I feel like this is like the first time I feel like I've ever really heard Dean Malenko talk more than like, you know, a half a dozen words at a time. Like, I've just never really Stinko Malenko was not one of the guys that would take the microphone and hold court for 15 minutes. And seeing Malenko at this point, man, like it's kind of hard to watch Malenko right now. Uh, it, you know, I, think, I thought, you know, it's, this was an entirely new side to him. Well, what, what is it? He was diagnosed. Is it Parkinson's that he was diagnosed with here? Not too awful long ago. I believe so. You know, it's just, it's, it was really hard to watch Malenko and it, he's so serious all the time and you'd never hear him talk and hearing him actually open his mind and his heart and express his thoughts. Like that's another guy that, man, he's got some demons. Yeah. Just think of all the people that he rode with from those days back in late WCW, early WWF that aren't here anymore. That's an interesting point. As we look, as you said, you're talking about Jericho and his demons and obviously the wear and tear on the heart and the soul of someone like Chavo. And then to see this here from Malenko and I, did you happen to catch the the after dark episode yet i know we were no, talking before htm sports last week about it and there was some tremendous insight in there they had tommy dreamer on and to talk about the connect between those two and it almost seems even talking in ben about just this benoit incident and all the happenings here is you get wrapped into this one enigma all of these tragedies all of this heartbreak that these individuals have had to live through, when you really step back and look at that wide script, you know, as we regularly talk about, it's our 360 take. Take a step back and really walk around and look at it from every perspective. It, it brings light and creates new conversation about almost the seemingly drastic change that we've seen in the business itself and how these talents kind of handle themselves away from the spotlight, away from the ring. Now, it isn't the drugs and the alcohol in the parties. Now it's, you know, the video games and online schooling and being more connected with your home life and your family than ever before. So in that sense, you know, in many ways on that surface, we knock the mentality of the current era and these talents. But how many of them are going to be, you know, are going to be around longer? are going to have happier lives, more fulfilled lives going forward than what we've seen from just a generation ago. Yeah. From your Jerichos, from your dreamers, you know, from that, that attitude era, the early ruthless aggression. And that's the one thing I don't think like they barely touched on it when Jericho said, you know, was making the comments about how if, if Chris would have known that he would have damn near brought down the entire business, he would have thought that was just the worst thing ever. And Carly was like, is that true? And it was like, yeah, absolutely. You want to know why you ended up with Fruity Pebbles John Cena? It was because of what happened with Chris Benoit. 
I mean, that that was absolutely a pivotal moment in the business. I wish they would have talked more about that aspect of it and how it changed the professional wrestling business going forward. Because when, when you look at events in history, I mean, like the Montreal Screwjob, absolutely. That's a moment in history where everything changed. When we found out about Chris Benoit, that was a moment where everything changed. And I mean, here we are some 13 years later, and the business still hasn't recovered from it. I mean, my God, Cody Rhodes took one chair shot to the head and everybody lost their fucking minds. Yeah, I think, you know, just outside of professional wrestling, it obviously it absolutely hit the mark there, Jargo. I mean, it has completely changed the landscape of professional wrestling, but we've seen that trickle-out effect. I mean, we're seeing this across sports. And to go to the extremes of what happened, if you tie that in with any kind of issues with the concussion and that wear and tear on one's body, this goes far beyond professional wrestling. And the involvement there is because in our genre, it ended in this heinous act of a double murder-suicide. There's one thing that that really stuck out to me, and I I got here is one of these major talking points that that I wanted to get your – Get your thoughts on, and you're talking about Chris Benoit and his actions forever changing the direction, the landscape of professional wrestling. You go back and you think over part one, part two, and you you really look at how heavily involved in the influence that Eddie Guerrero had throughout this entire, this entire special and that connection between these two. And you're kind of, you start, as you're watching, you're wondering, okay, you know, where are we going with this? What's the tie? And they bring it around perfectly in part two. And it's near the end there. And I'm kind of paraphrasing this, but Chris Jericho comes out and he says, between Eddie and Chris, nearly identical careers, yet one is immortalized and the other is being permanently erased. And to me, that spoke volumes. Yeah. Because of the simple act in how it ended how on so different sides, drastic sides of the spectrum. I mean, you still have people in tears when you mention Eddie Guerrero, when the anniversary of his passing comes up or when they're watching those historical matches or that, you know, that moment that he got over on, on Brock Lesnar. He is revered as one of the all time greatest to ever lace up the boots and step inside the squared circle, but then mirroring him that entire path, you know, his, his partner, his brother in arms, Chris Benoit, who, no pun intended here, is being absolutely, truly buried inside of the business. Well, and and it's one of those things where I think it was shortly after that that Jericho made the comment that Nancy belongs in the Hall of Fame. But they won't do that. They won't put Nancy Benoit in the Hall of Fame. You can't even say that. Woman. Put woman in the Hall of Fame. Because you cannot say the name Benoit. And... Right or wrong, that's just the reality of things. I mean, where would Chris Benoit, if it was not for this, would we look at Chris Benoit in that same light as an Eddie Guerrero? Possibly. He never had the personality. He 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 didn't connect with the audience the way that Eddie Guerrero did. I We never saw that side of Chris Benoit on camera. I think if, you know, if it just had been Chris had taken his own life through the PR machine, whatever it might be, and those, you know, the fans that absolutely loved him, and even those that have, you know, 
swayed away from it. I don't want to say turn their back because I, I don't think that's right to say that someone turned their, you know, turn your back on a murderer, if you right. will. Uh, but those those fans never would have left. I think you would have seen them on equal footing because they would have been respected for who they are. Uh, obviously, yes. You know, Eddie, the charismatic, the flamboyant. The character. Sorry, yes. But being, you know, especially with the PR machine behind it, we would have, you know, they really would have hammered home and emphasized the work ethic, the true commitment, the the love and the passion of a Chris Benoit. I agree. You know, we'd be talking about those two hand in hand as two of the greatest all time. They, it'd be a completely different story for Benoit. To me, like Eddie Guerrero is a Hall of Fame headliner and Chris Benoit would have been a supporting act. Now, if, if Benoit had gone the traditional route, you know, obviously his life wasn't taken and had hung up the boots or maybe an injury had forced him out. Maybe the, maybe the route of like an edge. I don't think he would be as glorified, but because I think because of the sudden death and losing him so early, if it was just even the suicide or some kind of overdose, whatever it might have been, you know, it, those kind of those situations, they seem to resonate within individuals and it would raise them up. So I, maybe a step or two behind Eddie, but that's here or there. One, one other big thing that I did take from the documentary and something I've been all over for the better part of a couple of years now. Hashtag no more headbutts. I thought they did a great job of explaining, you know, Harley Race telling, you know, everybody stop doing the diving headbutt. It's just going to fuck you up. And then the Dynamite Kid went and he did the diving headbutt and it fucked him up. And then Chris Benoit paid homage to the Dynamite Kid and he went and he did that headbutt and it fucked him up. And then Daniel Bryan went and he did the headbutt and it's a tribute to Chris Benoit. And guess what? It's fucked him up. I know there ain't no two ways about it. Daniel Bryan is not the same Daniel Bryan that he would have been had he not been doing that stupid fucking flying headbutt. Hashtag no more headbutts. And I get inside this document. It, it's about the individuals, those that that have to carry on, that will will always have this burden on their shoulders. And there's probably nobody that that's impacted more is such a young kid at that time. And now really just kind of coming into his own into adulthood trying to find his way. And that is the oldest son. That is David Benoit. One of the biggest hot topics going on now out, you know, around whatever circle you're in inside the bubble is David Benoit seemingly his persistence to pursue a career inside of professional wrestling. And as much as you hope that someone could succeed in following a true dream, you really have to wonder, I mean, is this the right move for this poor kid? And even if so, does he have a legitimate chance at ever finding success and more importantly, happiness? No, I don't think so. I think I think the only chance that David Benoit would stand is if he went to Mexico and he put on a hood. Or he went to Japan and he put on a hood and he wrestled as a completely a, a, a character. But that's not what he wants to do. He wants to either wrestle as David Benoit or Chris Benoit Jr. Well, guess what? That's not going to happen. I mean, and, and does that suck? Yes. Is it fair to the kid? Absolutely not. But, you know, if there was some new hot up and coming director in Hollywood whose name was Todd Weinstein, guess who's not getting a fucking job directing a big Hollywood blockbuster right now? Sorry, them's the facts. Like, no, it's not going to happen.
And, and you really you step back and you and you see and we've seen countless interviews. People have sat down and spoke with David, but really what what hits home here, it, you you really got to feel for this kid. As I said, he's so young when this happens, and at that point he's he's lost his father, his hero, his stepmother, his half brother. They are gone. Then there's a divide. You know, this this family, Nancy's family, that he thought, you know, his aunts and uncles that were so close, you know, he's told they don't want anything to do with you. You know, that could be an exaggeration. Whatever the case might be, that's a reality for him. Then this world that meant so much to his father, hell, his, his family in professional wrestling and now the top dog on the block, the WWE, they have essentially shunned you. They want nothing to do with you. You are all alone. Even go a step further here, on the after, after the dark special, Chavo and Dreamer are talking about this, and Chavo mentions, and David has experienced this. They had a, an outtake, something that didn't make it to, to air. And Chavo was saying, you know, at least once a week, monthly, he gets text messages that are word for word what Chris sent him. The last text that he received, that some sick... Uh, beyond sick, maniacal, just bastards out there. You know, I think that this is humorous, that this is a joke, that they're going to, you know, they've stumbled upon his number. They're going to sense him. And to further that, not just Chavo, that David gets this, that people personally attack him, that he gets messages, he receives mail. He can't escape from this thing. And he's a young kid. He's still, what, in his early 20s, right? Yeah. Yeah. He, he, think about that he, he was like, what, 10 when this happened? Yeah, because uh, the little, the youngest one, Daniel, he was seven. So, I mean, you're looking. Oh, I guess he maybe, would have been like 12, 13 then. Yeah, head, heading into those teen years. I mean, it's already confusing enough. Yeah, and then right. imagine to, to lose, you know, your parents. But to, in this kind of spotlight and to carry this with you, to try yeah. to move on with this burden all these years, I you just absolutely. And I know he's had some success. He's, he's I can't remember the interview, but. He said he had a tremendous job. He was working on some oil rigs. And to me, it was like, okay, he found a way to just kind of get away from the real world. Get the hell out there. He said, I had great pay. Uh, he felt relieved to be away from things, but he kept feel, you know, feeling this calling to bring him back to professional wrestling. You talk about going to Japan, working under a hood. I'd say, you know, if we're talking 20 years ago, that might be an escape, but in this day and age, where we have the resources to be connected to everything at every promotion going around the globe. I don't think there is an escape. No, that's, he might, that's a good he, point. He might be able to run from this for a little bit, but it's eventually going to catch up to him. Yeah. And everything that's happened around his dad, this entire situation eventually will come to the surface. Last night I was over on Twitch during SmackDown, uh, Ben Hameen with the Hameen Media Group, the great Ben Hameen. You know, he was talking about this and the biggest worry that, that he sees for someone like David and he, where he would truly need protected from the people, you know, not from, but by protection to stand by him from the likes of a Guerrero, a Dreamer, a Jericho is from a lot of these scumbag indie promoters that are just going to want to cash in on this thing. Yeah. They're going to go out there and try to ultimately expose him. They don't give a damn about him. As long as they can line their pockets and bank account, that's all that's going to matter to them. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's a sad reality, man. You know, the world is not fair. That that is for certain. Well, let's go over to uh, to the far east ourselves. Let's let's see you know, things a, a little more 
happier atmosphere. Cinderella gets to make her wish. Jargo, you had turned me on to this thing. Stardom is back in action following Japan's scare of the coronavirus. This was a hell of a tournament here. I'm going to, you know, you've taught me so much over these two and a half years when it comes to the Japanese style and the wrestling promotions over there. But I I do bow to you, sir. I want to kick it over (laughs) and let you kind of lead this conversation. I, I am in no way, shape, or form an expert on stardom, uh, but I, I am. My interest in stardom is growing rapidly, um, and I, I think the biggest thing for me, Rick, and we talked about this a little bit before we went to air, the way that stardom works and the way that New Japan Pro Wrestling works is incredibly similar. Whether it be you know the comparison between a New Japan Cup to the Cinderella tournament. Or, you know, when they have their version of the, the G1 Climax, which is the Grand Prix. They have a World Tag League. There's way too many belts. I mean, like, th- there's a lot of similarities between Stardom and New Japan Pro Wrestling. So if you are following New Japan and the factions inside of New Japan, the adaptation to Stardom seems fairly logical. It's, it's just kind of, okay, now I have women's wrestling along with the men's wrestling it's just two completely different promotions but i and i like the setup there because we're not getting both of them integrated together so you can focus in you know this is a time where it doesn't seem as if you know in wwe we'll make that comparison because it's so easy for most people to kind of buy into where they want you to split that time on the show or one seems forced or there might be an agenda driving you know, certain programs or directions within the company. This is a complete split. When you get stardom, the spotlight, the direction, the importance is placed on these women because they are the show. And I actually, even inside, you know, it's, this is the return to normalcy for Japan. This is one of the first shows that we've seen come back. And you can tell, you can, you could certainly tell the crowds are, it's going to take time to get back to, to what we've seen at these arenas. It was weird seeing Cork in that barren, wasn't it? It, it was, but I thought that they did. Uh, and it, it just really speaks to, you know, the, the Japanese production and, and how they present this though. They did a tremendous job. I, I knew the emptiness because I intentionally looked for it, but if I would have, but once you get caught up in the action and you turn your mind off to that, it's, you forget it. You are focused in, the way you it are was focused shot. in on those stars. Yep, absolutely. Um, and I one thing I have noticed this week that both AEW, NXT, the Red and Blue that they all did that they did. I didn't notice watching this Stardom show, even though it was similar. For some reason, all the American companies went in really, really tight on the cameras. Did you notice that? Like, just shoot it the way that you would normally shoot it. Like, there's no reason that you're trying to shoot fans in the crowd to begin with. Just focus on the damn action in the freaking ring. But for some reason, it was like they went to uh, almost like a soap opera shot where everything was just shot super close up and you were just getting, like, people's busts inside of the camera frames. It was weird. What I really liked here with Stardom, and I went back a couple times, now, after that first run through where I, I wanted to, you know, take in the characters and the actual in-ring action. And then that second and, and in some cases, I went back the third time and it was to, you know, to really study and get a, an understanding of their production aspects. 
and the strategies that that they're employing there. And you're exactly right. You know, it's where now it seems in the West that they're like, oh my God, you know, what, what do we do? How do we do this without these fans? These, you know, this huge backdrop that we've been highlighting. When you go to Japan, and especially here at Stardom, because, you know, even there, they realize they're working outside of these smaller crowds or arenas than you are in New Japan. So you got to be very crisp and you got to find that, that right angle there. So instead of those zoom-ins, I mean, it's either they shoot theirs, it seems high or low. So that those angles are either focused right on that ring. And the other aspect of it that I, I just I feel like gets lost is when I watch Japanese pro wrestling, I feel like it's pro wrestling for the crowd in attendance. And it just so happens that there's cameras there filming it. When I watch American pro wrestling, I feel like I'm watching a television show and the fans are there to be part of the television show. So we try to, we have to light up the fans. We have to make sure that in this camera shot, you can see how many rows of fans there are. Like you're, you're just props. Whereas when I watch a Japanese presentation, they just happen to be filming the wrestling matches that are going on. It, it, it's, it's a weird kind of backwards dichotomy that they have going. That's an interesting point that you mentioned there. And it makes you kind of question the the mindset of the West. And ultimately, if that's why we've seen this drastic decline in attendance at live events, you there's nothing. You know, I regularly talk about this live event experience. But it's, it's not for the live event experience. It's for the television experience. Well, you're bringing up an aspect that even I haven't touched on. You know, when I go to these live events, I, I've been with other people and I'll be gone from my seat for damn near 75% of the show. And it, where the hell were you, Rick? It, oh, I was, you know, I was checking out the concession stand. Uh, I wanted to, I was at the merchandise stand. I was seeing, I went down to the floor to see how they're interacting with the audience they had within reach of them. Those are the things when I go to these live events, you know, in my line of work, my professional background, it's what we've always done here. We try to bring what we know, what we can relate to the table here. Those are what's important to me. And in that aspect, yeah, I've, I've been overly frustrated with times with WWE because I remember going back in the day where you walked in there, you felt special. You walked right through that door and you could interact at times with some of the legends or even, you know, current talents. And they were coming at you from every different angle. And now it's just, okay, we've already got your money. We've done enough. We don't have to exceed your expectations anymore. What you're talking about, Jargo, is that home presentation. What we're watching, as you said, oh, it's a television show. Why leave my couch? I'm getting the best of it right here. Why would I want to just go be a prop there? Now, if they would change that mindset where it is more focused on that wrestling, then you're thinking, man, if it's, if it's this good when I'm watching it here, what's it going to be like when I'm there? When I'm not just being used by their production. And that's what you get from Japanese wrestling. And that, to me, is what makes a sports-like presentation. Above everything else, I, I feel like that's what really makes a sports-like presentation. When you're watching a football game, right? Let's say that you're watching the Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from last year before Tom Brady got there. There is not a TV network in this country that's going to pick that up. But, of course, there's going to be cameras there filming the game because that's what they do and we need it for all the clip shows like ESPN and FS1 and all this other shit, right? 
The cameras are just there filming the game. They don't give a shit about the fans in attendance. They're not showing you all the empty fans in attendance. They're showing you the game. And when I watch Japanese wrestling, I'm just watching the wrestling. I'm not paying attention to the fans because the fans don't make themselves a part of the show. Whereas now, when I watch a WWE show with an empty arena, I feel like one of the characters is missing. Yeah, absolutely. The mention in the comparison there with the NFL. The NFL, of all the professional sports leagues, they are very television-driven. They're very interactive. They're very dynamic, innovative. But still, in that sense... The reason they fill their stadiums, well, for the most part, as I sit here in Cincinnati, but that the most that the <laughs> most of the franchises are able to fill their stadiums is because they have a very unique and fan experience friendly in-game dynamic. You need to be there. You need to be a part of it just for that in-game experience, that in-stadium experience. Not because you're just another character. And you almost wonder in WWE terms, this ultimate backfire of theirs is we're all superstars. Or are they put over? You never know what you're going to get with this crowd. They're a bunch of kids. Stop using that terminology. You have to draw that line in the sand and separate those two. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Um, an- another big thing that really, really stood out to me watching this tournament um, was the rules for the tournament. Of course, you know, it, pinfall, submission, or over the top to the floor. And as a result of having that simple rule that if you go over the top to the floor and you are eliminated, you know what I didn't see in this tournament, Rick? I think there was like two dives between all of the matches that I watched. It was just wrestling inside of the ring. How, what a novel idea. How, how 1940s of them. I know, right? Thought it was great. Thought it was great. Um, In the end, uh, we got to talk about Julia. Uh, Julia wins the tournament over Natsuko Tora, right? And Rick, we've talked about Julia and how she came in from Ice Ribbon. She's kind of taken over the promotion. She worked at Wrestle Kingdom. She was one of the girls selected for that. And there was a big controversy about that. And they have really just tied a rocket to this girl. Hell, they even gave her her own faction that she's putting together inside of stardom right now. Uh, She wins the tournament. She gets to wear the pretty dress and chances are she's going to end up challenging for the white belt and she's going to end up winning the white belt. Um, As I was watching Julia throughout this tournament, is she not like the Japanese version of Rhea Ripley? Like everything about her just said Rhea Ripley to me from the look, the way that she presents herself, like it was Rhea Ripley before Rhea Ripley turned babyface anyway, before she became like a corporate shill for everything going on in NXT. Like Julia still got that cool factor to her, but like, and maybe it's just those incredibly long legs. Like she looks like she's just about like, you know, a foot taller than all the other girls inside of stardom. Well, I didn't, I didn't make the comparison to Ripley as I'm watching this thing. And you are right. You know, there was a little bit of, I've had some exposure towards Julia and her work, you know, a lot of, you know, the controversy around Wrestle Kingdom and I've seen some of her work there on the independence, but this, for me, this is where I really got to, to understand, you know, what she brings to the ring. And frankly, it would start printing money. That was the impression I got. I mean, she has that look, she has that vibe. She is a superstar. And I think it, it would work on any continent 
for any promotion. Tremendous look, tremendous ability. And you could tell, I mean, she just has, inside that body language, she has that charisma. And that speaks volumes over any kind of mic skill. Were there any of the other girls inside of this tournament that really stood out to you as like, holy shit, you have to go and you have to watch stardom to see X? Like, is there anybody like a, a Konami, a Jungle Kiona, a Momo Watanabe? Um, like, I, I feel like that roster, especially watching this tournament, it was a showcase of basically the entire stardom roster outside of most of the champions. Well, what I really took from this thing outside of Julia, obviously she is the standout. As you said, you know, they are putting the rocket to her. This is the investment. Bushiro, they, they, they realize they've got something special with her. They want to build this thing up. And is there anything that, that you've heard of yet with the expansion of New Japan? Is Stardom going to be involved with that? Not like, that are, I are have they, heard. Are they a part of this bigger picture? Are they going to get not, that exposure around the globe? Uh, not really from what I have heard. My understanding with the way that things stand with Stardom and New Japan right now, Bushi Road is keeping them as two completely separate companies. They do not have anything to do with one another outside of maybe at there's a stardom match at wrestle kingdom. Maybe there's a stardom match at dominion. Maybe there's a stardom match at king of pro wrestling at like these, these giant flagpole events where they're just trying to get, you know, the word of stardom out and give them a little bit more exposure, but the two companies will remain completely separate. And and one thing that drives me nuts about American fans is that they will be like, well, why doesn't New Japan have women's wrestling? And I will explain to them, you know, the women have their own promotion and, you know, they'd start them and blah, blah, blah. And they'll be like, oh, well, that's stupid. And then like a week later, they'll be like, you know what the WWE should do is they should just have like an hour women's show on the network where it's nothing but women wrestling. That's literally what fucking stardom is. But, and I wouldn't suggest that they start actually you know, integrating the shows together or touring together. I'm just saying with, you know, financially or strategically, I would like to see stardom have an opportunity to shine. Well, they no do have on, on that bigger stage. I know that we got the network there. Well, and one other quick, thing I did learn and I I'm sent you the video as well. I forget, I forgot the gentleman's name or he, he, it's basically like a beginner's guide to watching stardom that he uploaded. It's a fantastic video. I recommend that you, everybody go check it out. He lays it all out very, very nicely. Um, shit, what was I talking about? <laughs> we we're talking about the women over here, but real quick, it is uh, Stardom Wrestling Beginner's Guide 2020, How to Watch Stardom. And it is, you can find it over on YouTube at the Pulse channel, P-U-L-S-E. Yeah, really, really good stuff. Really good stuff. Yeah, it is a tremendous video. But as I was saying there, you know, it'd be nice to see if Stardom can just have that opportunity to stand on their own because I think they could find that there's a tremendous value 
Oh, for I know what, what they're bringing say. to the table. Uh, they do have a half-hour show now on YouTube that you can watch on a weekly basis. It's called We Are Stardom. I believe there's like 12 episodes of it out already. Sometimes it's just like one long match. Sometimes it's a series of shorter matches where they kind of introduce all the characters and whatnot. The only thing that really stands out to me about Stardom, Rick, is they need English commentary. If they're going to branch out beyond Japan, if they're going to start trying to cater to an American audience like New Japan Pro Wrestling does, they they need to add in English commentary. Well, as we're talking about that expansion and the potential there, let's well, get back to, you know, as we've seen through this tournament, what was available to them. That is kind of the, the homegrown, their foundation. Uh, I love the style. I love the presentation. I love the production going forward. I'm looking forward to seeing the integration of those outside talents, you know, the UK talents coming in or seeing a Zoe Sky from right, you know, who got her start right here in the great state of the OHIO to see which, you know, she's had continual tours over there. Uh, but, you know, to really get to see her shine. It wouldn't surprise me to see former Women of Honor champion Kelly Klein make an appearance back over in stardom. Yeah, I mean, she's done tours over there. That's what I'm looking forward to is seeing this connect between these women on the rise here in the West and see them go over and mix it up in stardom. And that's why I was curious to see, you know, if Bushiroad is going to give them an opportunity when you talk about this seemingly drive, this now this rise for women's wrestling, you know, we can debate if it really is a draw on its own. I think if you're really going to test those waters, a promotion like stardom absolutely would set that standard, would set the bar in women's wrestling throughout the globe if given an opportunity. You can see why Hunter was interested. 100%. 100% here. Anything else here from starting from this tournament that, that you kind of wanted to... Not really, man. I'm looking forward. I'm going to kind of try to follow along with stardom as best I can, and uh, hopefully... Um, we'll get some updates when I launch the New Japan podcast, Destino, which will be coming to hackerhameen.podbean.com. It'll also be coming to destino.podbean.com. Um, you can find it across most social media platforms at this point, at DestinoPod. It's going to be focused on New Japan Pro Wrestling, but, you know, it wouldn't surprise me, especially with the uh, overlap of AEW, uh, with the overlap between Stardom and Bushi Road. I'm sure that there will be some other things that will weasel its way onto the show now and then. So with, with, with Stardom now, they've got their weekly show on YouTube, everything's subtitled. They need that, that American. They need that English commentary. You get the phone call. They call Destino, the podcast hotline. They DM you, Jargo. They ask you. They need you to take over. I'll do it. Hell the, yeah. The hot seat. Hell yeah. But they, it, and then they, t- they ask you. They say, go across the world. Who would you bring in to be your color guy on that? I mean, who's, who would compliment you in, in that hot seat for stardom? Hmm. It, it would have to be Joe Atherton, right? No, no, I'm kidding. Of course, it would be you, RBV. It would be you. We well, get- I know. I wasn't going to throw myself out there. I mean, because you're going to need someone that's going to be you know, highly knowledgeable of this stuff. Well, I, I would assume that you would be highly knowledgeable on sake. Uh, noodle sandwiches. Noodle sandwiches <laughs> and sake. It's sake. But yeah, no, I am available, Stardom. If you want to reach out, you know, you can reach me at notjargo at gmail.com. Uh, just go ahead and send that over. I, the, the one thing that sucks about Stardom 
is most of their shows are not live. They're uploaded onto stardom-world.com a couple of days after the fact. So, I mean, you know, just go ahead, shoot me over the video. I'll, I'll do an English dub commentary. I'll just make up my own storyline since, you know, half the time I can't tell what in the hell is going on. And uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah, it'll be entertaining as shit. God, hey, I know what? I love that. You should just do it anyway on your own. Just get <laughs> right. it out there. Just Joey Styles, this son of a bitch, and make up your own storylines. There you go. There you go. I, mean, <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. Half the time, I feel like I'm doing that with New Japan, too, where I'm just like, you know, I'm just making up my own storylines, you know, because, you know, oh, well, that guy fought that guy, and that leads to this, and that leads to that, and okay, yeah, that seems like a logical conclusion, you know? Well, I, I I know for many in the West here that that Japanese wrestling can be mighty confusing. Let's talk about something else that is a little bit confusing. And that is Vince McMahon. Is he selling out? We've got this this news here over the last couple of days. Vince McMahon is set to sell a, a good chunk of his shares with inside with inside WWE. Jari, you and I have been going back and forth since yesterday. Just trying to piece this together. This is all over the place. Uh, I guess the biggest thing here is Vince McMahon is going to sell sell these shares. This is going to be through Morgan Stanley. Uh, looks at what is it, about fifteen percent of the company on the line here. Right. And it comes out to like eighty four million dollars or something like that. Eighty eighty four mil, a positive for the buyer. They are locked in at the current share, which is it's, so. I think it's you know all depending on a little give here between thirty. I was gonna say between 34 and some change and 39, somewhere in there, it's gonna be a little bit of a flux. They'll buy those out. They will take that control. Vince himself will still maintain his position of authority, still hold all still hold his cards as this deal of sorts will not go into effect until was it 2024? Right. Um, this is interesting as hell, man. And even inside of this, this isn't a class A option stock. This is into that class B. So we really start, you get through this headline, you start peeling through the onion here. A lot of, a lot of layers, a lot of confusion. Not sure how much, you know, this really sits, but on the surface, I guess the best way to sum this up is, you know, Vince is going into the cash advance loan day place and just, you know, signing the contract there. Yeah, that's that's pretty much how this goes, man. Um, this is like the world's biggest payday loan. And Vince promises to pay it back in a few years, uh, four years from now. At that point, Vince will be, what, 78? Isn't he 74 now? I believe so. So I mean, I'll, I'll get on this here so we get the exact age. But yeah, in a sense, you know, this is okay. I, let me get through this now. And really, when you look at this, the dollar value, is it all that impressive to you? I mean, it, this is, you, you go back, you know, I heard, you know, Ben and Stevie were talking about this Friday in the locker room over at hackerhamin.poppy.com. And Stevie made the comparison, it's as well off as he is in his businesses, it's it's almost as if he would go to Ben and be like, hey, man, I need 20 bucks. Right. Knowing that, you know, his account is full as it can be. But you still need this Band-Aid in this short term to get you through a certain situation. Well, I mean, when I hear this, my initial thought was this seems like something that somebody would do if they're getting ready to sell the company. 74. 
He's 74 right now. Yes. So he'll be 78 in 2024. Yeah. Well, uh, hell, he'll, in August of this year, August 24th, he will turn 75 years old. Okay. So you, you're looking at damn near an 80 year old man by the time that this thing is up. This clearly seems like a move that somebody would go right before they're getting ready to sell the company, doesn't it? I mean, like, that's just how it feels that, okay, now we at least have a timeline. We're, we're looking at 2024. Which, coincidentally, I believe is right about the same time that the next round of TV negotiations would be coming up. You, you look, really, you lock into everything here, these big deals, these big financial booms that are keeping this company, uh, well, I don't say afloat, but they've taken this company to that next level. This is right around the time that we're going to see those renegotiations of those are set to expire. As you said, we're looking at an 80-year-old Vince McMahon. Everyone is so, so set on, you know, who's going to take, oh, when Triple H and Stephanie get control of this. What, what have we really seen in the past that would indicate that's the direction, that that is the set direction that this company is going with all of these other business you know, partnerships that we're seeing outside of the company. By that point, Stephanie is, you know, turning 47, 48. And what's Triple H now? He's got to be what? Damn near 50 now. He's 50. He's 50 years old now. So he would be 54 taking over the company. That doesn't seem like that makes much sense either. And we know that Stephanie has a desire to break into politics. Hell, her mom is leading Donald Trump's super PAC that made him the most money last quarter. Absolutely. You look at this positioning here. It, it, this is something is what they're going to want to re- you know, continue on with to take on all of that responsibility here with WWE when obviously they do have other aspirations going forward with this. Triple H in this position, we always talk about. The superstars, they refuse to make a megastar. You can never rise above the brand unless your name is McMahon. And that is, and the only reason they're doing that is to make sure that there is a purpose and a value behind the family when they go to sell. If that means inside of the WWE corporate structure to help, you know, leading and guiding professional wrestling, or if it's elsewhere, if it's in politics, if it's in another promotion, how much... Everyone, you know, the hot story over the last month, Triple H getting a demotion. How much of this global positioning for him taking this over is to set him up that if he has to go into another marketplace and even another different industry on that international scene? Now, we've seen Shane leave and have great success somewhere else. Well, if we have learned anything over the course of the last two and a half years, I have learned this about professional wrestlers. All professional wrestlers are two things. One, they are conspiracy theorists because they think that everything is a work. Two, they are politicians, every single one of them. And that's the only way that you advance inside of this business is by playing the political game backstage. Those are the two things that I know to be true about professional wrestlers. Absolutely. And and when you bring this bigger picture in here, even when you mentioned the, the political aspirations of Stephanie McMahon, I mean, look at the things that they have used, their their sway, their pull inside of this company to rewrite history or history going forward. Look at the Chris Benoit thing to go back to what we were talking about off the top. They erased Chris Benoit from history. 
Well, again, you know, you see this time and time again with China. Yeah. And and how directly that impacts anything going forward with Triple H and Stephanie. She gets into some kind of political campaign and, you know, she's running for a major position. You got to believe those dogs on the other side, they're going to be mentioning. I mean, look what you, you look how heartless you individuals are. You caused this lady to have this mental breakdown. She ended up committing suicide. Well, you, however, they're going to spin this thing. They're going to tie all that in. They're going to have to face all of those pressures. The scary thing, if you're Stephanie McMahon and you are contemplating any kind of a political office at this point, is the WWE's dealings with Saudi Arabia. That she would be a Saudi puppet. That is probably her biggest fear at this point and, and the biggest thing holding her back from any kind of a political career at this point. Is when that I think Saudi a lot of that, blood money? Well, look at the positioning, how that is handled. Where everything you see with the women's evolution, who is at that forefront? You bet. Breaker who, of chains. Who is, who is the one away from the programming, away from the ring that we see leading these ladies' conferences or minority conferencing or whatever the special direction might be there. But you sure as hell, when it comes to Saudi, it's Vince who's at the forefront. Yep. Very, very little. Do you see anything with Triple H? Very little. And you see absolutely nothing from Stephanie McMahon. And I don't want to hear that. Well, it's because there's, they won't have dealings with the woman. No. no. Inside inside of a narrative that WWE could spin, Stephanie could absolutely be at this forefront. You could be pushing. She, you know, she is fighting for women. She's fighting for change at home. They could be complimenting her with the reason you're seeing women's wrestling there is because Stephanie has, you know, she has stayed her distance, but she is this driving force. You don't see any of that. Because they know there is going to be ill will and bad blood from blood money. And they'll place that on on the old man. And and people think I'm crazy when I say that Stephanie McMahon is going to run for political office. Not only is she going to run, she's probably going to win. I mean, Stephanie McMahon, when it comes to business and politics... She's got to be right at at the forefront of the women that are on the cutting edge of this kind of thing, man. It most certainly is going to be very, very interesting to, to to see the direction with Stephanie. And she said the way this thing plays out, you know, what what is the ultimate be all for WWE? All these negotiations, we know that it's back and forth, but they are they are trying to sell the network. They're looking to get that big payday on those pay per views, those marquee events. We've already seen the blockbuster deals with Fox and the influence that they immediately have had. NBC Universal is seemingly to have more and more influence with their programming. And it's not just Stephanie. It's not just Stephanie. I mean, the the rumors a year ago were that The Rock was contemplating running for political office. Well, I just think it's inside, you know, back to the base here of of the conversation is the future of this company. You got to believe, you know, their intentions are even when you went public, your ultimate goal is to sell this to a major conglomerate, one of these major, you know, entertainment empires. And and then it's also announced, you know, within a couple of weeks of all of this happening, that we're running, you know, three WrestleManias on ESPN, and we know that Disney would absolutely be a suitor, and that ESPN could use all the content in the world right now. And I just saw earlier today that FS1 is going to be running the Royal Rumble from this year. 
uh, apps actually here, FS1 has picked up a number of dates uh, where they're going to be running some WWE programming. You know, last week I asked you, I said, how, you know, with ESPN picking up the WrestleMania is one of the things was how does Fox feel about this? Yeah. So we've got here, I, I've got the schedule. FS1 on Tuesday, March 31st, we are going to get the Royal Rumble replay. We're getting WWE backstage. You know, that's still theirs. We've got another Rumble replay. Uh, it looks like this is what it is. We're just getting Rumble replays. But that's going to span across multiple time slots on FS1 and FS2. Fills along a with the, a lot of content. Along with the regularly scheduled programming, uh, backstage and SmackDown replays. Maybe they weren't interested until they saw that you know uh, ESPN drew 855,000 viewers last Sunday for WrestleMania 30. In a time where there's tremendous value on content that's going to pull eyes Absolutely. towards your network. And the more business deals that you get done with the mouse and then Vince selling off stock in this next story that we're going to talk about that, you know, the Saudi blood money might be drying up. I mean, there, there's just a lot of things right now that tell me in four years, it wouldn't surprise me if the WWE is no longer under the control of Vincent Kennedy McMahon. And that, that's going to open up a, a whole nother conversation, but What's important right now in, in TV land is pulling eyes towards any given network. And it looks like you know, WWE's feeling that same pressure. They want to bring as many eyes as they can to their own network. They've gone ahead and they have announced that they're going to open up quite a bit of the content, WWE Network free trial to pull everybody in. You know, they say, if it's free, it's for me. But I don't know if this is the case for the RBV. I, I, I've had discounts there before. I have trouble finding content here. What do you think, Jargo? Is uh, this little bit of this is this marketing ploy? Is this going to be a success for them? Well, I yes, it's absolutely a marketing ploy. I, I think that goes without question. Um, as far as is this going to be a success for them? Um, can I see what the hell WrestleMania is going to look like before I answer that question? Because I mean, I I could see in the short term them getting a month worth of subs out of this where people buy for WrestleMania. They want to tune in. They want to see WrestleMania. And depending on what they present, that that could absolutely change whatever my answer is going to be. Well, I, let's look at actually the, the release here. So this happened on Thursday. WWE announced that it was pleased to unlock a vast portion of the WWE Network Library and extend free access. This is going to include thousands of hours of extraordinary on-demand content. It's going to include every WrestleMania countless pay-per-views, some of the original documentaries, and much, much more. This is going to be for a limited time, very limited time. So my understanding, kind of diving into this a little bit deeper, this isn't one of those cases where, like in the in the first month is free, where they need your CC. They need your billing information. Right. And then hope, hope that maybe you forget about it or, you know, maybe I'll stick around for a month. You don't deactivate it. This one is completely... No strings. You can go in and grab access to some of this content here. To me, I don't know if that's enough of the hook. And then they're going to, but then, you know, their thought is we're going to cut you right off before WrestleMania. So then they, you come back, give us that CC, get that month free, and then hopefully stick around. The retention rate on something like that, I mean, from some of the studies that, that I've seen, I mean, it's anywhere for it to be successful. And that retention is to hold like three to 7%. I, I, the number that I had in my head was 7%. Yeah, it's anywhere. It's much like 
in the world of marketing, uh, the old, the coupon, Yep. you know, if, if you had a return rate of three to 7% on a coupon, even if you sent out thousands upon thousands, if you got three to 7% back, it was a successful campaign. And, and it seems to be the same here when you're looking at retention for these streaming services after, you know, the discounted or the free offers, whatever it might be. To me, I think they missed an opportunity. I, I like their intent here. Again, right direction, missing the mark. What they really should have done, especially that they're trying to recoup a lot of this lost financial outside of this, this complete fiasco, out beyond their control. There is no blame here. This is an absolute crisis that we have going on here. But as a business, it is their duty to try to recoup all of this and move forward. I would have went with, at this time, I'd give you a month free, but we are going to charge you up front on this thing. Pay for your first month. The second month is free. Then you've got time to figure out how to continue to hook individuals that are coming to your network. And this is outside. I, I still go back. I love your idea. Weeks ago, I completely, where they did swing and a miss, they should have done everything they potentially could to get this thing on television. If it's through their existing contracts where they run this multiple nights or you go for that wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, get somebody, we'll give you this thing. We'll give you this for a portion of the advertising to air live must-see television on a, on a Saturday, Sunday night. You got to believe someone would have been chomping at this bit. That's, that's, not, that's not doable right now. Now we're worried about the network trying to recoup some of the financials there. I, it's it's one of those cases where you got to get that dollar up front. You ask, how do you spin this into a financial gain? Well, the, I see one solution, um, and it would be basically selling off about 15% of the company on a permissionary note for 2024. So that way we can basically pad the books for this quarter. The stock is already down. People are going to freak out when they see the profit sharing come in. Let's go ahead. Let's add in this $84 million here, and it won't make the loss look necessarily so bad. Hopefully by 2024, we can hide it somewhere else inside the books. How does that sound? It, absolutely. And you know that's an, another way. That, that is an avenue that they are traveling. You know, right now, as I'm talking about you know, my clients that remain open, and now we're getting to launch campaigns where we're not seeing the volume. We don't have individuals coming down, sitting at the bar. That is, that's the bread and the butter. Right. That's what makes that's what makes the world turn in the hospitality based business, the bar restaurant. So we're diverting that. We are offering. We're we're doing special deals. You know, I'll throw out there like Harbor House. If you spend right now, come buy up. $50 worth of gift cards. And this is going to run through a time we can reopen the doors by $50 worth of gift cards. Your name is going into a lottery. You're going to be placed in a raffle. And at the end of this, we're going to draw out and give somebody just a random person, 200 free dollars in gift cards. Now that whole point is we know that these individuals are going to be around, you know, come Memorial day through labor day. We're going to be packed wall to wall every day during the tourist season, during the summer months. But we need that now because we don't have anything. So we're just essentially transferring what we know we have down the road to now. And if you're WWE, every angle you take right now has to be of that mindset. Yep, absolutely. And if, if, that's, if that's taking this loan, if it's 
trying to monopolize as much as you can out of the network. If it's working with your partner, if it's selling content to ESPN, to FS1, NBC Universal, like wh- whatever they got to do to recruit, you know, $2 million here, $5 million right. there, $10 million over it, here. And what makes it even more important under a WWE scope right now is when it comes to this seemingly live or newer content, WWE is the only show in town. Yeah. They need to they need to strike now while the fire is hot, while this is their opportunity. Because here in four, six weeks, you're gonna see rumblings from the NBA. We're already starting, all the talks are really starting to heat up. When are they gonna return to the court in some kind of fashion? The NBA is ready to strike. You have got Major League Baseball with the opening days ready to strike. The NFL is already looming. You know, they they are the true rulers of the roost, the kings of the mountain. They're still moving. But now you've got this small window. Everyone getting on WWE, you should postpone. You should suspend. You, you got to hold up your operations. If they do that, there isn't enough of the pie for go around for them. Yep. This is their window. This is their opportunity. This is why this is such an important you know, time for them to continue on with operations and push forward. People are missing that bigger picture. As we're talking about money down the line and, and you know, hopefully, you know, counting – by potentially counting your chickens before your eggs hatch. Is there a potential Jargo that a good portion of those eggs will not be there in the future? And of course I am talking about blood money potentially turning into bad blood. The writing seems to be on the wall here. One of the biggest indicators is we're talking about the WWE network in Saudi fashion. It has suddenly disappeared. Yeah, this this was an issue that basically arose on Twitter. Some uh, general Saudi uh, had logged in, tried to go to WWE Network and couldn't log into the network. And so he sent off a tweet to the WWE help desk and basically said, hey, what's wrong? I can't get onto the network. And they said, yeah, sorry for the inconvenience. WWE Network is no longer available in Saudi Arabia. Well, that doesn't sound like a good thing, now does it? Pair this with, you know, we do know that the Saudis were late on payment for a couple of the blood money shows. We do know that the the talent was delayed on the tarmac, not the last time they were over there, but the time before that. We do know that, you know, at one point there was an offer from uh, the Saudis to buy the WWE for $7.5 billion, and of course that was held off. And we do know that there was an offer on the table for them to bring WrestleMania to Saudi Arabia. And that deal didn't happen. And then magically the network gets shut off. Like this sounds like the Saudis are just sick of their fucking shit, man. Like we, we keep offering you great opportunity to make all this money and you don't take it. So fuck you. What I really gather from this, it just reminds me of something out of a classic mob movie, right? You know, where Saudi's in that boss's position and it's, you know, how many times do you cross me? before you're swimming with the fishes. Yeah. And this isn't, you know, as we're used to in the West, this negotiating game, this tit for tat, this grab dick, if you will. No, this they is, play, they, they send over a team, they chop you into little fucking pieces and carry you out in shoe boxes. Yeah, they actually do not play here. And if you got to, you wonder, going back to Vince selling those shares, you know, how, how is the overall feeling with the Saudis there? Because we've heard 
the rumor in Indendo involving the contract situations. Every and business the crown deal. Jewel or the super shows that are over there. Every business out. deal that the WWE does, the Saudis are a little bit further away from buying the WWE and using the WWE as their propaganda political platform. That's the reality of the situation. Every deal, whether it's the FS1 deal, whether it's the ESPN deal, whether it's the USA deal, whether it's, you know, Fox Network deal, what every deal puts the Saudis just a little bit further away and puts a little bit more heat on the WWE for doing business with the Saudis. And you talk about this heat in a possible following out, not a following out, but tensions running ultimately high here between WWE and Saudi. We really interesting to, as we're talking about the so many layers involved with Vince in the 15% that's on the line there to go inside, actually to see that contract and how they're handling these dealings would prevent somebody with Saudi interest from making that purchase. I mean, are there provisions once this goes to an open market like that, what kind of leeway is there to say no to a potential buyer? I have no idea. I mean, that, that that's a question much more well suited for somebody like a Seth Kennedy than it is for me. When you, when you start getting into to giant business like that. Right. You're, I mean, the legality behind this. Exactly. I mean, we're, you know, people want to, you know, what most of the people are buzzing about or seem upset, their frustrations are at that boiling point. It circles around WrestleMania itself and the things around this coronavirus. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one of those 360s. You got to take a step back, walk around, look at this bigger picture. There is much more at stake here. There is a much bigger picture, more intrigue inside of the co- the future of this company than just living in the moment of what's happening right now. We said that when they signed these new TV deals. When, when, when the first time we heard the rumblings of these TV deals and that it was going to be a five-year deal and it was going to be worth, you know, a billion dollars and they were going to be making $4 million an episode for SmackDown and you and I were the first ones that were like, look at the ratings. The ratings keep going down. This is great. You know that they're got all this money coming in, but what happens five years from now when they don't get renewed? Then what? And now we're, we're just seeing everything on a very advanced timetable because of this freaking coronavirus. I think most certainly when we're talking WWE, the word of the day, the month, the quarter, the moment is uncertainty. Yes. And it's top to bottom uh, from from Vince to Stephanie, the Triple H, the network, whatever's going on. But most certainly, as I just mentioned, what people are really focused in on, that's going to be hashtag empty mania. It. it Pretty much they've got this thing in the can from everything that I can tell. There might be some some loose ends here and there that they need to wrap up their production, but this thing's just got to go through edit, hit play. It is ready to go. But coming out of the WrestleMania tapings and some of the television going forward here, we're getting a lot of breaking news, and it's surrounding the talents in their, I guess, uh, their mysterious absence from WrestleMania, if you will. And it, for a variety of reasons, but it looks like, you know, to this point, some of the names are locked in. We still got some rumors out there surrounding some different personalities. Some of maybe the, to a lesser extent, you know, we, we've got Rey Mysterio, 
Dana Brooke in a self-quarantine. We know that. They will not be partaking uh, at WrestleMania. Also heard Murphy, Page, Jerry Lawler amongst them. We've seen some rumblings of potentially Cesaro, Asuka. It appears that The Miz actually had reported there as some of these other individuals as well, but that he had been found to have been dealing with a cold, some kind of sickness that has caused some debate. He will not be partaking at WrestleMania. Asuka says she's out there. That again, that's up for debate. But the biggest one that is making the headlines, who this is a huge change for the card. You're talking about one of your marquees, and that's going to be the absence of Roman Reigns and having to find a new direction for the Universal Championship. I would really like to hear a comment from Edge. Remember, just like a week ago that we had the big dog and the rated R superstar going back and forth on Twitter over what's going to be the real main event of WrestleMania. And then Roman bitches out. What the fuck, man? I mean, I, I, I understand the concern. All right. I'm not trying to downplay the concern, but what was the big change that we saw between like Sunday and Wednesday? Well, let's let's dive into the story a little bit is is being reported because this is all behind closed doors. This is hearsay at this point. But apparently Roman, you know, he's just down the road. He resides in Tampa. So, you know, when people talk, you know, are talking about these travel schedules for a good I'd say probably not the majority, but a, a good amount of these individuals, they do reside close to the performance center. Yeah. Now, you know, most when you get to that kind of level of success, especially in professional sports, Florida's a destination. No state it's tax. Just more, no state tax. It's just financially friendly for these individuals. And, and hell, you know, it, you're close to beaches. You, you got the nightlife. You're in a, a bubbling society right there. It's a spot to be. So it's it's not like that's a major issue, especially Roman. He's coming right up down the road from Tampa. He was there at the Performance Center. He was set to partake in all of these tapings, to be to be a part of WrestleMania, go through everything here with the build with Goldberg. But apparently, there was a situation, this goes back to involving The Miz, that he had made the trip from uh, Texas. I believe that's where Miz is has relocated once again. Now he went to Texas. Now he's back in LA. So he's come over from the left coast. So at some point in this, they discover that the Miz is dealing with an illness. Now let's take for, you know, let's look at the big scope here. We don't know exactly when the symptoms occurred. We don't know if Miz intentionally traveled there with this or if it's something that developed while he was in Florida at the performance center. But apparently this set off one of the Usos who were unhappy to be working with the Miz who went to Roman, who then decided that he was going to withdraw from WrestleMania. And it was all sources kind of citing the ties in, you know, the obviously the issues with his immune system and just dealing with leukemia. I completely understand all of that. It just infuriates me that like when he's already in the building, like seriously, how long is this match with Goldberg going to go? Like what, what, what did you have the over under on that match? Three minutes. You know, with your intros, you're probably looking at 10 minutes top, your involvement. Yeah, maybe. I mean, especially at a performance center, it's not like there's a real long ramp and and, an audience to play to. I mean, like both guys come walking out, they get in the ring, you ring the bell, spear, spear, bug eyes, spear, Superman punch, pin. Like that's the whole match, right? You you got vignettes and then you do have your little bit of your intros, which I was taking in there. But yeah, and even if, even if, 
the plan was to try to get the best out of Goldberg to go that 10 plus. You're still looking maybe 12 to 15 max before that thing just gets exposed. But if you're in a situation, you've got Roman there. If there is some reservations about, you know, taking care of him, getting him in and out of there, it's not like he necessarily has to be sitting around the building all day. Right. We're, we're getting everyone cleared out of here except essential production crew. We're going to have a producer, a cameraman, and you. Yes. That's it. Because you actually you don't even need anyone else there. You don't need your commentary team. You can get away with doing that thing. You can do it Referee, all in post. talents, camera, it, with five people. Yeah. You got five individuals in there. You guys are going to be in and out of here, match in everything in an hour. within 30 minutes, 45 minutes if you really press. Put your, put your gear on at the hotel. We're going to put you right in a private shuttle, bring you over here. You're going right from there. We're getting this thing done. Yeah. Now, like if we were talking about Daniel Bryan flying in from Seattle, then I I would understand it a hell of a lot more. But it's like when he's already in the building. And I think that's the important aspect to focus on here because everyone is going to try to rebut your your stance here, Jargo, is you got to play into the immune system and the leukemia. That's you're not dismissing the seriousness of that situation, but the contents is king here. He's already in the building. That's the thing. Like, just if you're already there, just fucking do it. Like the, you traveling there was much more of a risk of you catching the coronavirus than once you're already inside of the performance center and, you know, they're testing everybody as they're walking into the fucking building. Like. And then at this point. You have the Miz has been removed, who I guess is the source of this thing. And, and I'm seeing some different rumors saying there's heat on him. Again, I want to know the exacts really around the circumstances that unfolded here. I don't, in my mind, there is no way the Miz knowingly proceeded to go to the performance center knowing damn well that he was dealing with some type of illness. You know, this, this could have happened at any point during that commute. Or while he was there. This thing can suddenly spark up on you. And it, it seems to me immediately that WWE took the proper precautions. They have removed the Miz from the situation. Yeah, they're just doing a triple threat now at WrestleMania instead. No, they've actually broken this thing down. I, I didn't want to give away too much here. I, I don't think this is really exposing too much. But the Miz is out of this thing. It's going to be Morrison de- defending in a singles match, representing his team. I thought it, I thought it was... Yeah, but I thought it was then there was also one of the Usos was going to be in it and one of the New Day was going to be in it. Oh, okay. Maybe they are going to so go that like direction. So it's like triple threat. The, the card that I've got sitting here has got the New Day admitted from that scenario that it says one of the Usos. But to my point, whichever direction they're going, I didn't want to get into any potential of what that card is going to be. We're going to be we're going to be so deep in WWE WrestleMania bullshit next week. Well, and it it just keeps changing. So there's no point in previewing it at this point. Right. And whatever it might be, there's an Uso involved. If this, the very root of Roman Reigns withdrawing himself from participation stems from the Usos being uncomfortable working with the Miz who has been removed from the entire environment. Why aren't the Usos taking the issue to stand alongside Roman and withdraw themselves? But, and I guess as you're looking at all of this in, in a grander picture, 
let's say everything goes back to normal. All right, let's fast forward in time about three months, but I'm not going to be podcasting at that point. So let's talk about what happens three months from now when fans return. Is it time for Vince McMahon to just give up on Roman Reigns? Because, you know, John Cena, he would have wrestled. If he was already in the building, he would have done it. He wouldn't even thought twice about it. Hulk Hogan, back in the day, you betcha. Stone Cold Steve Austin, he would have went out there and he would have gave the coronavirus a fucking stunner and drank a beer over his goddamn dead corpse. Well, we've like, already seen we've already seen Austin make the trip. Well, and I mean, we we talked about this with AJ Styles. What got AJ Styles over with Vince McMahon when he flew halfway around the country to face off with Finn Balor in Detroit? That's what it took to get AJ Styles over with Vince McMahon. How long before Vince McMahon has just had his fill of Roman Reigns? Because at this point, Roman Reigns kind of seems like a real pain in Vince McMahon's ass. So you really believe that it, as much as the investment in everything that that they've got involved with Roman Reigns, could this could this be a breaking point? Especially under the the intense spotlight and circumstances surrounding Vince McMahon right now. Could would it be that far-fetched that if you took the entire marketing machine that is behind Roman Reigns right now and you put it behind Drew McIntyre, would anybody notice? Is this a, a bit of a blessing in disguise, a change in direction for the company and Vince McMahon? What, if they, what kind of reception from a good portion, a very vocal part of this audience have they received because of the push of Roman Reigns? Now, there is another side. Yes, Roman Reigns, he's been, in many aspects, tremendous in that role. I mean, look at the merch. You look at your your general, the chi- the children that are tuning in and women, the women demographic. And those that aren't as inside the bubble we are, that are just tuning in to just to be entertained by professional wrestling. Roman Reigns has been a major success. Now, a lot of that, you know, is that Roman Reigns or is that the corporate machine that they can almost take anybody, take a Drew McIntyre and just put him in that position and see that same success? I believe they can. I think if they made the pivot right now to Drew McIntyre, they would have more success than if they keep going forward with Roman Reigns. That's what I'm saying. With that group that you're already finding success with in Roman Reigns, they'll just make the shift. Now what you're doing is you're you're putting on the hook and you're bringing them on board are those that were bucking you at every move because Roman Reigns was a hand-selected chosen one. And it's the you same can, thing that the media has done with this entire coronavirus thing. Like the way that the way I'm looking at this thing, all right, to me the scariest thing that is going on with the coronavirus is the fact that the government has basically shut down the entire country and made you believe that it was for your own good and that it was your own idea to shut down the country. That's what the government has done, and that's what Vince McMahon has done with Drew McIntyre. They did a very, very slow turn with Drew McIntyre so that you thought that this was the fans getting behind Drew. The fans forced the company to turn Drew. That's not the case. The company just turned Drew very, very slowly and made you think that it was your idea. 
And that's fucking genius. It really is. I'm not even taking anything away from Vince McMahon. I think that's the best thing that he's probably done in the last five fucking years. But right now, today, I think that Drew McIntyre is just as over as Roman Reigns, and you could make that pivot tomorrow and nobody would notice. And I think it, as long as you use that same mindset and employ those same strategies where you had that slow burn on the rise of Drew McIntyre, you need to take, as I said, those same philosophies and have the slow destruction of Roman Reigns. You can't do this overnight to make it look like it's a petty situation where, okay, he bailed on us. He wasn't, he wasn't a team player. We're immediately pulling the rug out from under him. You take that slow burn, take your time and moving him back down and you'll suddenly let it set in with people. They're finally listening to us because they're, it, they're not shoving Roman Reigns down our throat anymore. Well, and it, 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 it wasn't working. It was never working because this is what they did with Roman Reigns. They did the same thing with Roman Reigns that they did with Drew McIntyre, right? Like we were all asking ourselves how long before Roman finds himself in the championship picture because they're really taking their time. They're giving him some personal feuds. He's going out. He's winning matches. He's beating up Baron Corbin, which nobody likes. So everybody should be liking Roman Reigns. And then the second that it was announced that he was going to be challenging Goldberg, immediately you heard the fans, oh, they're shoving Roman Reigns down our throats. Oh, yeah, they're putting Roman right back into the main event. They did the same thing with Roman Reigns that they did with Drew McIntyre. There is just too much water under the bridge with Roman Reigns right now. It's not going to work. It's never going to work as long as Roman Reigns is the face of the company number one babyface. It's not going to work. It's, that ship has done fucking sailed. It certainly is going to be interesting to watch, especially creative, the direction here with the superstars, with the red and the blue. And I guess the biggest, the biggest issue I have is we're not interested in the superstars themselves or the stories going on. It's everything else surrounding it here. Yep. And that's going to be the big thing for WrestleMania is they have to make us have something to talk about in the post show other than how it just didn't work. Like they have to have some major talking point that that's what WrestleMania 36 is going to be remembered for, not the coronavirus and there not being any fans and they took all these risks and none of them paid off. And what the fuck is a boneyard match? Well, when it comes to the talent, and the storylines, there is something in the company that has me very excited. And I was very worried about this as two weeks ago. It seemed like they had given up all hope. The, the ship was sinking. This past week, NXT, man, they were doing some serious business. They are gearing up. They are ready to move forward. It seems like they have got some exciting weeks of programming ahead of us. Unfortunately, though, only well, we got 669,000 people Live viewers saw this thing. This this was a tremendous episode of NXT. They did some serious business here. And it had the best match that you're going to see underneath of a WWE umbrella during this entire empty arena bullshit. And I told you that it was going to be the best match that you were going to see. And I was right. Because this was fantastic. For, for those 669,000, as we are gearing up for the showcase of the Immortals, the spectacle of spectacles, 
Well, we're waiting for those major moments we're going to be talking about for generations to come. This past Wednesday, the universe got their first WrestleMania moment of the season. Stop the freaking presses. Breezy, your boy Breezy captures a major, major TV win over now. WrestleMania bound Austin Theory. Breezy going over strong. And I, I'm loving this feud. I, I love everything about this. You know, that Austin Theory is the young, brash kid coming in, and he's kind of the new Tyler Breeze of this new crop of the Performance Center, and he's trying to put the old horse out to pasture, and the old horse just straight kicked him right square in the fucking mouth. It was great, dude. This match was fantastic. This was the best WWE match I've seen all fucking year. You got this knee-jerk reaction from so many fans that don't look at that big picture, that don't want to give things time to play out, or, or maybe they just, you know, they just don't have the capacity for that much larger scope. You really got to appreciate what they're doing here with Austin Theory, you know, coming out, picking that fight with Champa, and Champa just putting his ass down. It really shows, hey man, you're going after, you're taking on one of the big dogs in NXT, main event caliber, and you got this brash, young, cocky, looks like a million bucks, but getting in getting in a way over his head better than he thinks he is. So that's the story you start telling there. But then you see those flashes, man, this kid does have something here, but he just continues. He doesn't know when, you know, when to shut it down, when good isn't good enough, or he's trying to push a little too far. Love the storytelling here. Where he goes to the phone. He's using Breezy's own gimmick and he's letting everybody know he's, he's letting them have it on the selfie take or whatever. And it comes back to get him. Love the storytelling. Yeah. Outside of the athleticism in this match. And and both guys looked great inside of this match, which is absolutely no surprise to me. Um, Tyler is just working at an incredible level right now. Like every time I have seen Tyler Breeze in the ring for like the last six months, like gimmick aside, like where I'm the world's biggest Tyler Breeze fan, like gimmick aside. He is just killing it in the ring right now. And they're using him on NXT. They're using him on 205. Like they're they're just plugging him in wherever in the hell they possibly can. He has basically become like just a workhorse for the WWE to go in there and make these young kids fucking look good. And he's only 30 fucking two years old. Who should we get here? We should get Breezy, Cesaro, and start like a a four workhorseman. Right? No shit, man. Yeah, Cesaro's another one. Just putting in great work. Absolutely. Those are our building blocks there. Those are our first two. I I don't know who else would go in here, but yeah. Give me uh, an off-air gimmick with these guys. Get them together. You know, even even if it's like the on, you know, as we get from our partner with the Hameen Media Group, Chris Silvio, and the Chris Silvio Superstar Seminars. Such tremendous innovation there where they're taking – these tremendous learning opportunities, they're taking it to the people. They're not relying on brick and mortar or special attractions at the events. I'd love to see you know, something like that from somebody like a breeze who has his own school now and a Cesaro to get out there and reach those masses. That would be tremendous. I'm hoping that this ends up being like a best of three, best of five series between these two guys. I would not mind seeing this match a couple few times with theory, even getting the win in the end. It's, it's definitely going to be interesting is we're hearing rumblings and all indications that theory is going to get an opportunity. You talk about skyrocketing. Yeah. Shoot, shoot, your way up from, the, right? shoot your way up the ladder. I mean, hell, 
he might not be long for NXT. Well, and, but my he goes in impresses. My fear there is like upside for Austin Theory. I could see him being Randy Orton. All right, like fifteen years from now, I could see Austin Theory in that kind of a role. Right. Well, I, but, I actually hope that they have the foresight here. They know what they're doing with Theory. Well, that's the thing. Like, I don't want to see them Lacey Evans, the kid, where they just move him up and he's clearly not ready and it just fails miserably. Like, as good as Randy Orton is, he'll be the first one to tell you that all of that foundation came from OVW. Like, Austin Theory needs some time in NXT. He needs a nice long feud with somebody like a Tyler Breeze to work this kid out. With Theory... I mean, this plays perfectly to the character we just laid out, we described. He comes back to NXT, and now his ego has swollen to the – it's uncontrollable. Because just weeks ago, he walks through the doors at the NXT arena. He walks on the camera just weeks ago, and now here he is. It's not Gargano. It's not Ciampa. It's not Adam Cole. It's not Keith Lee. It's sure as hell. Who isn't getting the call these days is Breezy. It's him. He's the one going to WrestleMania. He's going to walk back into NXT like he is the cock of the walk, like he owns that thing. And then you continue to have, you know, where he gets in over his head a little bit, where he's a little too big for his britches. That's tremendous storytelling. I'm hoping that that's the vision that they have and they see this thing. And that's the reason that he is going to be active at WrestleMania. That's going to be tremendous. Real quick, funny story here about Randy Orton going back to OVW. He's sitting up in the in the nest close to a camera. And you could overhear him saying at some point, I don't even care about being here. I'm just here for the blah, 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 fat ass check. So Cornette and Danny Davis, they go back through and they're looking through the training sessions and they pick this up. He said the lesson that he learned that day, because he paid for it in training, was that the camera's always on and watch what the fuck you say. <laughs> That's great. I like that. Yeah, just as exciting, but switching gears here. You know, we've got stardom back in action, but still arguably the best women's division in all professional wrestling can be found in NXT. It's heating up. It's moving forward, and they don't even need the champ around to keep this thing going. We got everything surrounding the the ladies' number one contenders ladders match. That's going to be coming up here in the next couple of weeks. NXT TakeOver. It's so big this year. Not one night, not two nights. It's going to be like a month long. That's what we're getting. One of the highlights, marquees that you're getting out of this fallout here is this ladders match. Going into this episode, we still have a few spots to fill out here. It's going to be uh, six competitors, I believe. But you get the returning Io Shirai. She comes in, earns herself a spot. Candice LeRae grabs a spot here on this episode. And then we also learned that next week, we're going to get a second chance gauntlet match to determine who's going to get the uh, that sixth spot. It looks like our competitors there. We got what ZLE, Donna Perrazzo, Dakota Kai, uh, Aliyah, Caden Carter. My favorite in this thing, I think the direction they got to go with is Shotzi Black. They're going to go with Dakota Kai. They they have to go with Dakota Kai, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but there is one name that I do find interesting that is missing from this entire thing. Where's Bianca Belair? Uh, I'm with you, but. Her not being involved here, I agree with. Well, no, I don't to think me, she needs this. They don't need to go back to that well with her right now. To me, that just it just solidifies to me. Raw after Mania, B- 
Bianca Belair is going to belong to Monday Night Raw. I, I certainly can see that. I mean, that, and, and I and I think and I think that's the right call. She doesn't need to go back to this well no. in NXT trying to challenge to earn a spot for the number one contender's position. She most certainly wouldn't need to win this thing. Nope. So I think you dismiss her. So and I think that takes away from the field as well. Yep. Right now you've got a tremendously hot star in Bianca Belair. She's you know out before all of this thing happened with the corona and the shutdown and all that. She was hands down the hottest rising star inside of this company. Hopefully they can recapture that with her. I, I think they will. People are still going to gravitate towards her. My fear with Bianca Belair is that they bring her in as part of the act with Montez Ford and uh, basically make her a female street prophet. I don't want to see that happen. Because, well, And I say that because I'm afraid that they're going to try to position her on the babyface side of the roster opposite of new Raw women's champion Shayna Baszler. And try to go back and revisit that. I'm with you 100%. Let's let's hold that thought about couples inside WWE because when we're talking NXT here in the clothes, we certainly want to bring that into play in the conversation. Inside of this ladies' division, I don't know about Dakota Kai. If we're going a month ago, I think I would have absolutely 100% agreed with you. I think there's a huge turnoff to see what has happened here. The execution inside the ring in the program between her and Keegan Knox. I don't think it, I don't think it delivered the way that, you know, most people had hoped it did. The build was tremendous. I, I applaud the ladies for their efforts. I don't think the creative wise, they were put in a, a tremendous position to succeed. Those, you know, the gimmick matches most certainly hurt them there. And I think it takes, so it took away from her. And as we're going forward with this, with NXT and continually looking to reimagine this division, I think you've got somebody so hot if you can attach the wagon to, to Shotzi. Well, here's the the biggest thing, right? Who's coming out of WrestleMania as the NXT Women's Champion? Because that, that absolutely affects who I want to see as the number one contender. Because Shotzi Blackheart versus Charlotte Flair, okay, I could get behind that. Dakota Kai versus Charlotte Flair doesn't make any sense. If Rhea Ripley is going to retain, Shotzi Blackheart versus Rhea Ripley doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but Dakota Kai versus Rhea Ripley with Reina Gonzalez in her corner as her heavy, that seems to make a lot of sense to me. But I am very, very torn on how I feel about who's going over at WrestleMania. And there inside of itself... I really don't have a feel. I could see WWE going in either direction. I can make arguments for both sides of the coin. Yeah, I'm very torn. Very torn on how I feel about that. So I guess, you know, booking-wise, this is a, a bit of a blessing in disguise that now this thing is going to be postponed because, I, as you said, the winner of this thing would have been very telling to the outcome of that Ripley and Charlotte match. Yeah, no, that I do agree with. Absolutely. So in, in everything, I'm not necessarily a fan of the latter gimmick. Um, the other one, I guess, that we could uh, propose, uh, and well, I, that we do need to talk about is EO, because the, it sure seemed like they made EO Shirai out to be a babyface again on NXT. Even with, well, I, I know she's in there against, it was Caden, right? Was it Caden that she defeated? Um, no, she defeated Aaliyah. Aaliyah. Okay, she got Aaliyah, and Aaliyah, is, she got that bad attitude herself. Right. She's out there running her mouth. You know, she just wants somebody. But in that sense, though, you're getting that baby feeling from EO. 
But I mean, even the way the announcers were talking about her. But is, but is she responsible for the attack that got her into that position? No, I, I think you're you're led to believe that that was um, oh uh, Vanessa Bourne who runs around with Aaliyah. See, the, what happened is the last time that Zia Lee and Aaliyah were in the ring together, Zia Lee broke Aaliyah's nose. And this is the first time that we have seen Aaliyah back on TV. The way that Aaliyah was acting, where she's walking around like, hmm, I wonder what's going on. Hmm, I wonder what's going on. She knew full damn well what was going on. It was her It was her heavy took out Zia Lee backstage. So they bring out EO. And I thought the biggest thing was they were once again referring to her as the genius of the skies. That's clearly her baby face gimmick. And she, there she's positioned against Aaliyah in this match. They're putting over the moonsault huge. And I can't believe EO Shirai is back. Oh, the whole division is on notice now. If you're going to give me EO Shirai versus Charlotte fucking flair, sign me up for that. In that case, and you know, we'll we'll dive in all that next week. You know, overall though, on this thing, not necessarily a fan as it's played out the ladder gimmick, but you got to believe you, you have to have one hundred percent faith in this division. I mean, they go out there and put on entertaining battle royals where they're telling stories across the board. You got to believe that these ladies are going to go out there and crush it. I worry about them trying to do too much. That's my only fear. And hopefully, with having that this number of bodies that they can spread that out where they work right. together as a cohesive unit instead of worrying about, you know, just certain individuals having to carry the burden for all those big spots. But I have faith in this division because they seem to work very well together in those big spots like that. No pun intended, especially in those over the top gimmicks. Uh, also a big announcements coming out of NXT this week is we're talking about looking forward. These guys are doing business, everything else up in the air in this company. Uh, we know next week's episode, we're getting Velveteen dream versus Bobby fish. We got a big triple threat for the North American Championship. We got Keith Lee versus Dominic Dickhead versus Damian Priest. Which seems like that that seems like a clear opportunity to take the title off of Keith Lee and make him the lead babyface on SmackDown, right? Yeah. I mean, you can you can finagle your way out inside of a triple threat. Even if even if Lee takes the pin, you know, you can say it was that a numbers game or you know, things are kind of thrown off. There's a way that, you know, he can kind of pass it on where you protect the opponents. But he still looks strong on his exit heading to wherever it might be. But I do agree 100%. He has got to be one of your horses on the Friday night, Brian. Especially if you've lost faith in Roman Reigns. Make Keith Lee your number one babyface. Absolutely. That will work. Which, you know, it almost, you know, it brings up that great conversation of should he have been making that move this weekend? But that's here or there. Big debuts, big debuts this week, I think, to get people excited. This first one, I think it, it's kind of going under the radar because of the big announcement we're going to get to here. But I'm excited. I, I got a feeling you're excited for this thing. We've had great conversations about this talent and his potential. Is Dexter Loomis, or is he's formerly or more well-recognized as Samuel Shaw? Uh, we get a vignette announcing him. It looks like he is going to be on his way to television. So looking forward to seeing what Shaw can do under the NXT banner. Tremendous look. Very unique. Very dynamic. Absolutely looking forward to that. But as I said, it a little under the radar because we get the big, the big debut. But first to get there, I guess we got to start with the Triple H, Johnny Gargano, and Tommaso Ciampa. Yeah, this thing, you want to talk about convoluted, right? So basically what's going to happen is we're going to have an empty arena match on a show full of empty arena matches. 
that that that's pretty much what's going on. So right. we're, we're finding like some torn down building somewhere. And there's going to be a referee and they're just going to let them tear the fucking place apart. So I, I don't even know what to expect here. But Rick, this killer cross thing. Killer cross interjecting himself into this. I, I I'm I'm very, very worried about what they're going to do here. Um, the the logical thing to me, the way that the story is laid out at this point, is Killer Cross would end up being Johnny Gargano's heavy, right? That that just seems like it would make logical sense to me. But I cannot imagine Johnny Gargano playing off of Killer Cross. Like it just seems like a very odd pairing like the personalities don't even even like johnny's heel persona alongside of the maniacal killer cross just does not seem like it fits at all so i'm gonna go completely bat shit nuts with this thing and call for the double turn of double turns so that coming out of this thing, we have a maniacal Tommaso Ciampa alongside of a maniacal killer cross and a baby face almost murdered, like bleeding to death has to be taken to a local medical facility. And oh my God, I feel so bad for Johnny loser because I, Right, I just don't see it working the other way. I I don't see how this is going to work. You know, going back just to the stipulation on this thing, it is it is a little crazy that you're you're trying to hype up an empty arena match when all we have right now is empty arenas. But I I, I, I did like though that they put an emphasis on this is going to be removed from everything else. Though we are raising the stakes, so we don't know where they're sending them. And I hope it is a tremendous setting like that, some abandoned warehouse on the docks or something like that. And even like, tell, I'm not even going to tell you where it's at. I hope so it's the old FCW arena. That's what I genuinely hope that it is. I was hoping it was like one of the local, the regular spots that AIW runs up in Cleveland or something like that. You know, somewhere in, in their history where they have had some historic battles, either, you know, friend or foe. Something along those lines or some just a totally like we're saying, like an abandoned warehouse, some of the docks. And I did like how they that little thing in there where I'll send you a message. I didn't like I'll send you a, a text. Get get creative with it, man. Like send like a, a, a falcon or you know, something weird out of nowhere. So, you know, so like, go to some epic movie scene, recreate that of where you need to go for this thing. Just go over the top with that signal it. You have to trace the bat signal to this broken down warehouse. And, and in this thing, I imagined when I saw Cross here, the way it's going to be those two and a referee, Cross will be the referee. And, I, and as we talk this out, I like your idea here of where, where are we going to get some kind of turn? What is the business going forward? What is Cross? He's a hitman. He's an assassin. It's some kind of twist. Maybe Johnny has paid Cross, but Ciampa has paid him more. So Johnny is gone. And now you think, holy shit, Ciampa and Cross are in cahoots. What does this mean for NXT? But then somewhere in the short term, but down the road, Cross takes out Ciampa. Johnny's gone from the equation. He has to leave NXT, right? I mean, only one can come back. 
So Cross takes out Ciampa, and it turns out that Candice has paid Cross now to take Ciampa out. So now you've just got seriously murderer for hire. Anyone can get access to Cross as long as you're willing to pay the price tag. There ain't nobody fucking safe. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious what direction they go with Killer Cross. I, I am a very, very big fan of Kevin Cross. Um I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I have no doubt that he will find a way to make it work. And one direction that I do not want to see them go in with is connecting him with the smoke show. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. I don't want to see him connected with anybody. I well, want to see this, him just as like this ominous presence that just kind of looms over NXT. And ultimately, and it's more, it, it's his persona. He doesn't need a female figure. He doesn't need that sex symbol. He doesn't need any of that. But in the bigger scope, when we look at this, as you're talking about if they make the mistake of attaching Bianca at the hip with the Street Profits. Let's look at this bigger picture here. When WWE tends to play to these real-life couples, it doesn't work out. It's not. It, it hasn't worked out in the past. It's not working out here in the future. Think about how lame Stone Cold was when he's sitting in the back cutting vignettes and promos with Deborah. Right. It completely takes the edge away. Yep. Uh, even with you know, it worked for a little bit there with Rusev and Lana until it got publicly ex- overly exposed that the marriage and all of that downhill from there. Seth Rollins and Becky. I mean, Seth hasn't recovered from that. Becky's hardly recovered from that. You need to stay away from playing towards these real-life couples just so you can pop some smarks. It doesn't work out. The feud that I want, the feud that I need to see, now that it's going to happen, because they're both in NXT, I need to see Kevin Cross as this ominous figure that that's just looming over NXT it becomes Killer Cross's personal playground basically and there's only one thing that's darker than Killer Cross inside of NXT and he's kind of been positioned as this tweener where we're not necessarily sure how we're supposed to feel about him at this point I need to see the demon versus Killer Cross because I have no doubt that if anybody in NXT, you've seen Killer Cross do the bug eye thing, right? I can just imagine when he lets out with those bug eyes when the demon finally shows up. That's a feud that I need to see. Like, that's a main event feud that doesn't need a title. That is for the pride, the existence of NXT WrestleMania 37 TakeOver. Yeah. The killer's playground comes to an end when the demon's nightmare becomes a reality. That is your building point from this point forward. 100% NXT. Tremendous. Yeah. Tremendous. That would be fantastic. When we do a reunion show a year from now, that better (laughs) be one of the headlines. That we are talking about. Yeah, let's so let's so. let's shift let's shift gears. Let's let's pick up the uh, the remote, flip channels. Let's head over to TNT. Take two, week two, empty arena for dynamite. Out of the gate here, Jargo. Overall impressions this week. Two big points to hit in here before we really break down some of the action that took place. 
Commentary seems to be a hot topic. And this week's take on their their locker room reactions or camera shots. I thought that this show was good. I did not think that this show was nearly as good as last week's show. Um, there, there was something about the energy to last week's show that was just not present on this week's show. And I don't think that it was the, the wrestlers around the ring at ringside. Um, I, I, I could do without the locker room reactions, like the less locker room stuff that AEW does, the less backstage stuff AEW does, the more I kind of like it because I feel like that's one of the things that really sets them apart from the WWE. And I absolutely hated Cody and Kenny on commentary. Um, it, it just, because they didn't know when to shut up. Like when, when they would talk, it was good. Like the, some of the content was good. There, there were things that Cody was pointing out that I really, really liked on his commentary, but I don't want to hear commentary in the middle of a fucking promo from Chris Jericho. Overall, I think, you know, it, there's a number of ways to look at this thing. Obviously, last week, it was brand new. You get that appeal. You've seen it once. Okay, how are they going to duplicate or improve on that? We also have to take into consideration from last week to this week, how much of the the real world rules have changed and more regulations and restrictions being placed and less availability for talent to make, you know, to come into town. You know, if they are locally based or not, you know, obviously you're not bringing in out of state for this thing. So you're dealing with who is, you know, can immediately get there for you. So you got to take all that into consideration. Overall, I thought they did a, a great job here. Again, uh, far better than what we're seeing from the competitors in these empty arenas. So they're still ahead of the curve. They're setting the bar on those standards. The locker room reactions, man, it, at this point here, I liked it at first because it showed, okay, we can still get some excitement involved from a different perspective because they did take some heat last week from you know people concerned about the social distancing and, and all of that that comes into play there. I really, really wish that they would have employed something that we had talked about last week. And instead of relying on reactions from your talent, is to get involved through whatever it might be, through Zoom, through Skype, whoever you can get maybe some sponsorship from, is to get fans involved. You're AEW. That is one of your MOs. It's one of your biggest catches is that you overly pander to your target demographic. It's something I personally would like to see maybe a little bit less of, but I understand it inside of their marketing strategies. And it's something that is very important to them and they continue to really emphasize and target in on. And I thought you seen a lot of that in the commentary, not necessarily where they were speaking to the wrestling they were talking to that target demographic audience that they have. That's why they're taking the pop shots at WWE because their audience sees the WWE is the ultimate evil empire. They're talking about Deep Space Nine and Star Trek because guess what? That's what that target demographic is talking about. And there's things that's sci-fi. It's what they're invested in. Nerds. Did they, did they go overboard? Just like in Nerds 3, they went overboard. Yeah. But that was the point. That's what they were trying to emphasize. That's who they were talking to. If someone like Ben Hameen brought up, he would have been pissed as hell if he goes and catches word and watches the replay that they're talking about Captain Kurt during his match. Right. Yeah. That's no, where they it. missed. 
That's where they're failing to grab that potential new consumer, that new viewer that's going to be hooked. And again, they continue where last week it was so great. The show was such a smashing success because they got away from pandering to those individuals. They got away from the video games and the cosplay. They were worried about a serious wrestling production and moving their product forward. This week, in so many ways, they reverted back to that tit-for-tat playing grab-ass with that, with that demographic. And I think that's what overall hurt the show. But yes, certainly, though, they did some business going forward. There was a lot of high spots here on the show. Real quick, this undercard. You get opened up. Cody goes out, gives Jimmy Havoc his first, I believe, television loss or maybe even first loss under the AEW banner. Uh, Darby Allen. He goes over Kip Saban, who was out there with the beautiful Penelope Ford. We saw Jake Hager in action over uh, not the bad guy, Chico Adams. Any thoughts on these matches here? I, I thought they were serviceable. They did some business in here. There was some storytelling. Um, I just kind of run through them real quick. Cody defeats Jimmy Havoc. Yeah, that that's absolutely the right booking. Uh, Jimmy Havoc still just an absolute miss for me in a mainstream context. It just does not seem like it works. Darby Allen over Kip Sabian. Yep, that's absolutely the right booking. Darby is one of the hottest things inside the company. Uh, I am a little bit worried about Kip Sabian because I feel like Penelope Ford is way more over than Kip Sabian, and I do expect uh, some big things from Penelope Ford going forward. She's getting a lot of traction inside of that AEW women's division. Hell, she actually pinned Riho in a singles match on Dark a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Jake Hager over Chico Adams. Nobody cares. Uh, but I, I, Jake Hager versus Moxley, does that do it for you? Because that does not feel main event to me. Yeah, and I guess obviously what it is, this is a holding pattern. This is a stopgap for them. Mm-hmm. You know, this Hager, this Hager program is going to be short-lived. It's a bridge to what's bigger, whatever that is. I'm not entirely sure. My biggest concern there would be, though, is what are your true, what are your future plans for Hager? Because I don't see him getting any benefit out of this thing. None. And and ultimately, as you say, it really doesn't do much for, for Moxley. I mean, unless you could go into a dynamic and present these two like in a blood sport atmosphere. Yeah, I, I think that that would generate a, a great deal of interest. I don't know what it does for Hager going forward, but at least it brings some interest to the program that I think doesn't have anything here. Hager just doesn't have the heat. He doesn't have any kind of heat right now. I mean, like he's a character that needs completely rebuilt, not just, you know, he's had two singles matches. Let's throw him into a world title match against Moxley because they're they're really good buddies behind the scenes and they want to work together. You know, well, I, and it, it essentially you have all of your other established main eventers you've got tied up here in this blood and guts program. Right. Yeah. It, it just it feels kind of flat to me. And one of the other things that really jumped out here is we're talking about the true star in the making, that guy on the rise, Darby Allen. Obviously, you get out there, you showcase. That's what that match was for. Penelope, obviously, she's got all the tools. She's going to get those looks. The the pre-match promo from Darby, that's what really spoke home, you know, hit home for me. Spoke volumes. There's something about that kid, man. There's something about that kid, and I'm not exactly sure what it is, other than we all feel like we know Darby Allen. 
Like, I, I think we all know that small kid who became a skateboarder and is a little bit of a recluse and he's kind of weird and he listens to music that nobody else has ever heard of and he does like weird drawings and sculptures and shit. Like, yeah, he, he's pretty harmless, but he, he's definitely weird. Like, we all know that kid, right? And that's Darby Allen in a nutshell. And I think in his bigger picture, he's redefining the it factor in 2020. Yeah. Because he's defying so many, you know, perceptions of what it takes. And the face paint is something that people can copy and they can share it to Instagram and they can all then interact together. And I mean, that there's something to it, man. Yeah. Very marketable, very approachable. They got, they got something tremendously special on their hands there. Someone else is just, I mean, we're talking about redefining uh, the it factor moving forward, but the classics never get old. And he is absolutely slaying it. It is Jake the Snake Roberts. He's out again this week with another incredible promo. Uh, this time around, he's once again, he's calling out Caesar, but he's asking for the opportunity for Archer to get that chance. He wants to show, he wants to unleash this individual on AEW and he's kind of, he's taking them shots. He's saying that the brass, especially Cody, that they know what Lance is capable of. And they're afraid. They're afraid to unleash that into AEW. I guess overall tremendous promo here. And I've, I've seen this in a few circles and I wanted to bring it up to you, Jargo. And we're going to talk here a little bit about the dark order, the exalted one. Did they miscast Jake Roberts here? Should he have been the exalted one? Mm, that, that'd be interesting. I guess I hadn't really picked up on that thread. That is an interesting possibility. I hadn't really thought of that. And, and probably some of the best points in Cornette was talking about this, and I'd seen this in some other spots, is the Dark Order seemed to, to stumble a bit. And Cornette is really harsh on I mean, it. He's been the one that's coined it as the Dork Order. He doesn't have any use for it. But he's, you know, in his, if, you know, they come to you and sometimes it's beyond your control and you have to do things inside the company you don't want, they come and say, this is a focal point. Your job is to get this over. Why wouldn't you put somebody like Jake in there that can get anything over? Would it have been better served to put him in that spot with the Dark Order? And then maybe on the flip side, you take Harper or uh, shit. <laughs> and, only I didn't want to, they, and they did that on the show as well. You take Brody Lee out of that exalted one position, and maybe you had unleashed him in and Lance together as a duo. Huh. That's that is interesting. I hadn't necessarily thought about that. Um okay, let, let's talk about this Archer and Cody program. Because we have to quit doing this to Cody. Um what what Cody said on commentary afterwards where he basically said, listen, you don't just come into AEW and immediately come looking for me. Like, I, I, I'm one of the main event talents. I'm one of the guys that, like, runs the show around here. They, they keep putting Cody in these awful positions. No, no different than, you know, when MJF challenged him with all these stipulations and they come out and they say, well, we'll let you know next week if Cody agrees to it or not. We have to quit putting Cody in these awful, awful positions where no matter what he says, it's going to make him sound like a douchebag. All right. That that's number one. Uh, as far as the Jake Roberts promo, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I love him with Lance Archer because Jake is so 
intense but quiet, and Lance is so intense but loud that I think this dynamic is going to work really, really well. Um, As far as the Dark Order goes, I was one that I never necessarily felt bad about the Dark Order because I felt like they were constantly trying to set something else up. And even with Brody Lee being revealed as the exalted one, I don't get the feeling that he's the top of the pyramid inside of the Dark Order. I'm just not getting that feeling at this point. I feel like there's something even higher than that. Interesting. Interesting kind of take there. Real quick back to Archer and Jake. I I, I think that it is a tremendous pairing. Reason I had asked that question, uh, you know, would have maybe worked out better for Dark Order if they had flipped it up here a little bit. I, I what, think you what, know, whatever well, direction with let me ask you Archer, this: it's going to be fine. What, but what do what, what do you think has the the higher upside, the Dark Order or Lance Archer as a single star? I think they both have tremendous upside, and they could be tremendous focal points for your company. Obviously, they are invested in both of these. Uh, to this point, they have a little more time and energy in the Dark Order, and it is a larger group. I think it's more of which one would need Jake more. And I certainly agree that the Dark Order could have used him a little more. That I do agree with. I think Lance would have been fine on his own, too. Right. But talking in the situation we are handed, Jake is tremendous on the mic. He's going to use that's going to be the strong suit for him. We haven't seen Archer wrestle yet. This we have. We know what he's about. But this larger audience. He's going to do his talking with his fist and his physicality. Yep. And that's when people are really going to take notice. I'm not trying to knock any of the parents. I was just questioning if the positioning might have been you know, more favorable for the Dark Order had they gone with Jake. And I still think Brody would have been fine in another direction. And if that would have been like a pairing with him and Archer, God, you just imagine those two mm-hmm. <laughs> ripping, ripping through, especially – you know, if they would come in in almost the same direction you've got with Archer right now, where we're not this tag division, you hype it up is it's the best in the world and it's a focal point. Well, we're not here to play video games. We're not going to choreograph shit in the middle of the ring. We're going to put you down and hurt you. And that, that could have worked. I think the best thing about bringing in Brody and Lance both as single stars is their size. Because there's not too many baby faces on the roster that are going to match up with them when it comes to a one-on-one contest inside of the ring. So it's going to be real easy to get a whole lot of sympathy on somebody like a Kenny Omega because it's going to be much easier to believe that, you know, big bad Brody Lee is whipping his ass as opposed to Sammy Guevara. Absolutely. So I think all around all around tremendous upside, I I think, you know, for for both Brody and Lance there. Uh, It's great to just deal with with the company there. I guess, you know, we're talking about Brody Lee. We're talking about the Dark Order. This one, this was pretty this kind of struck me is odd that AEW is getting a little bit of this backlash. But then you see where it's coming from. It's those WWE faithful. Uh, The vignette is we see Cody or uh, Brody back there enjoying his steak and the obvious knocks, the subtle jabs at Vince McMahon. They're getting some, uh, some kickback on this thing. I guess people didn't find it as entertaining as others. 
I guess the way that I feel about it is if Brody's character is going to be that he is a complete dick to everybody, including those that are the closest to him, those on the inside of the Dark Order. If he is like a complete asshole, even to Stu and evil Uno, and that's going to be the character. But, you know, he is so big and he is so powerful that nobody will go against Brody Lee. Isn't that Vince McMahon? Didn't I just describe Vince McMahon? So in that respect, I get it. I'm curious to see where they go with it going forward, because I didn't look at it nearly as much as a shot at Vince McMahon as Brody Lee establishing this incarnation of his character as a Vince McMahon like figure. And I, you know, again, this is, to me, it might be a situation where people are jumping the gun. You, you see one angle of this thing. I'm more interested to see how this thing plays off. I mean, it could be very well that this was just some tongue in cheek. Let's have a little fun here. And then we'll start establishing, you know, what this is all about this next chapter of the Dark Order. What got me, though, is like AEW needs to be better than this to take shots at other promotions. You never see WWE do that. But I'll, I'll give WWE. Me? Well, hold on. Well, hold on. For the most part, WWE will, uh, what's in modern day, you know, they're above all that. They don't go after the promotions, but that's because they're they're preoccupied. They'd rather rib and make fun of embarrass the talent that they have signed. Yeah. So I guess that works. In, so I guess that's okay. That works in their dynamic. But heaven forbid that AEW or any other promotion out there or talent, whatever it might be, try to take a cheap shot. At WWE. And it's week one. It's week one. Like, just calm down. Calm down. Let's uh, let's wrap it up here with the marquee, the major happenings going on inside of AEW, and that would be the inner circle versus the the delete. Uh, We had a number of things happen here on this show. Obviously, you've got Omega is in action. They're... They're up in the ante trying to get that excitement going. He's going to be uh, defending the AAA Mega Championship, and he does that successfully as he goes over Sammy Gravaro. That was a fine little match. Not really a whole lot to take from it. but No, the, the only thing that I will take from it is if, if Kenny is going to consistently defend the AAA Mega Championship on AEW television, then I expect to see the AAA Mega Championship every time I see Kenny Omega on TV. Absolutely agree. You have to establish that. Yep. Is and again, this is a case of them pandering, catering to those inside a bubble of a bubble. Yep. A lot of people tuning in here, you know, if you're trying to hook them or if you're one of these new viewers that have just got on since Dynamite aired, you might not have any idea what the hell that represents, what the hell that means. Yeah. Exactly. So you, you gotta step back and broaden people's horizons here. Open up their eyes and educate. Uh, we also have, which was a little bit more interesting to me, you have uh, Vanguard 1 version 2.0 taking a, a trip out to uh, Rancho Cucamongo to visit uh, Nick Jackson. Is He's kind of in that rehab process. It was short and it's sweet. But to me, there was a going back to the Jake Roberts promo, how he continually calls Cody Caesar. 
And now we've got he and we see Nick here's rehabbing. You gotta believe after what happened to him, what the inner circle did. He doesn't want to be replaced at the War Games Blood and Guts. He wants in that match, he wants vengeance. With everything going on, and who's kind of that figure, that leader of the elite, Cody, how long until Caesar gets stabbed in the back by somebody? And I thought this was one of the more interesting things that they have established over the last two weeks on AEW television. Go back to last week and Cody's great promo to open up the show when he starts talking about Kenny Omega, the strangest friendship inside of the world of professional wrestling. And we can argue over who's 1A and who is 1B, But, you know, at the end of the day, we've got each other's backs. I thought that throughout the commentary on this show, there was a little bit of tension between Kenny and Cody a couple of different times. And if there's going to be an et tu brute, wouldn't it make sense that it be Kenny Omega? You can almost see it coming from any angle, and I think that's the that's what you want to create is that suspense. But they, they, they've I, done a good job of planting the seeds for it so that when it happens, people can look back and be like, oh, there was this, and oh, there was that, and oh, yeah, I didn't see it coming when he said this, but that's clearly what it was intended to do. And I love the inclusion of Roberts in this, you know, just constantly going to the Caesar. Yeah. Yeah. That's, can we get the that's wrap a nice up? touch. Yeah, we get the wrap up on the show. The moment that you know people have been waiting for here it is the face to face confrontation, the broken brilliance of Matt Hardy, Chris Jericho. I was I was highly anticipating this thing, and I gotta say though, I was satisfied with it, but I thought it under delivered a little bit. Okay, so this might be like the most polarizing segment that we've seen on AEW television so far, right? Like there, there's some people that clearly loved this and there was some people who clearly hated this. And then there's those of us in the middle that are trying to make any kind of logical sense out of it. So this is what I've, I've come to a conclusion on. I was fine with it because we have to keep in mind that about 90% of the AEW audience has never watched an episode of Impact Wrestling. Probably about 90% of the AEW audience has heard of Broken Matt Hardy, but has probably never truly seen what those of us inside the bubble know to be broken Matt Hardy. I thought this was a fine introduction to the character as well as Vanguard one or Vanguard one version 2.0, I guess is it would be. Um, I, we have to reintroduce all of these characters. And this is one of those things that we've talked about with the young bucks. If you did not watch new Japan, if you did not watch ring of honor, if you did not watch PWG, if you had never seen the young bucks, you had heard the name. You know, like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know who the Young Bucks are, but I'm not necessarily sure I've ever seen one of their matches. That kind of thing. You think the Young Bucks are a couple of dicks. That's the way that they've been established on AEW Dynamite. If you don't know anything else about the Young Bucks, 
There is a giant conglomerate of people that know Woken Matt Hardy and have never even seen Broken Matt Hardy. We have to bridge that gap and reintroduce the character. And so I was fine with what they did. I think it was very serviceable, as you said. Everything you laid out there, 100% agree with. Because, you know, my only reservations over the whole issue is, I agree, you are reconnecting this. And I heard, you know, a few people like, oh, it's just a rehash of impact. As you said, that was a small portion, a small percentage saw that. You have to recreate that and reintroduce this whole thing. And think back, it, think back to when this all started in impact. There was a lot of us that saw the first couple of weeks of this and went, what the fuck is wrong with Matt Hardy? And it was and it was terrifying. What the hell? This isn't wrestling. How people were flipping out. And then once you kind of let it settle in, yet a few weeks of it, it was holy shit. This is what we want for professional wrestling. I guess I was looking for a, a medium ground between there. I thought, and I did love how the transportation, you know, how he was transporting throughout the arena instead of just you know hit the music, walk out, whatever the hell it might be. I like how they used, you know, that they could preset that to set this thing up in their favor. I thought that was a great touch. I guess, you know, I'm just, you're really expecting and you want to get excited for more and a little bit of crossing that line. But again, you know, this also could come into play too. Maybe they had their hands cuffed because of all the regulations and everything going on because of things that are going on in society. Somebody in the Humming Media Discussion Group, I forget who it was, I'm sorry, uh, had put up in, in the SmackDown thread last night, like when as people were ragging on SmackDown, and he was basically like, "Oh, so this is so wrong, but I'm supposed to believe that Matt Hardy can teleport." And I was like, "Well, you know, Matt Hardy being able to teleport is just as believable as Tamina deserving a title shot at WrestleMania." Right. Just wanted to get that in there. It was probably Stu. I, I don't remember who it was, but I just thought no, that was no, he, he is he is regularly the uh, I, I don't know where he's come about this, but he is a, now a flag bearer, a 100 percent street soldier, throw down trooper for the WWE universe. And we've seen that in the last couple of weeks. Uh, but yeah, it, and outside of that, he's got a great he's got a great history in wrestling. Uh, trained here. It, he's been to OVW training. He trained here in Cincinnati at the NWF. So he's got a background, but some of his takes, he just, was he paying attention in class? Is, is what I wonder. Are you sure this isn't just another uh, account for prof? God, don't even get me started there. Don't even get me started there. Well, before we get out of here, Jargo, how about one more time around the horn? Major shout out to our partner platforms. We got the gorilla position. The last word on pro wrestling ndpw.coms next week man we've got a big week now, not only is it Wrestlemania week but we've got the ending of uh, many chapters the beginning of new beginnings we're kicking it all off Monday in the locker room we've got dual live broadcasts following the Wrestlemania's next week we got the last episode of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast we got the last episode of Hashtag HTM Sports we're sending you out with a bang here, bud. Yeah, man. You're all working me overtime. It's a good thing I took vacation next week. My yeah. God. You're going to need it. You're going to need it. Uh, but until then, you can keep up with me, Rick Vickery, across all social media platforms at The Real RBV. Jargo, why don't you get us the fuck out of here? 
Find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo. Find the new project at DestinoPod across all social media platforms. We will talk to you Monday inside the locker room, hackerhameen.podbean.com. But for now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Label me. Don't give up.